Good evening, members. Please take your seats. Members, before we get to the business of the meeting this evening, um, I have a sad announcement to make on uh, Friday. The leader and I attended the uh, funeral of a gentleman who was um, a councillor on this district council for 25 years and uh, served as chairman in the capacity I hold um, from 1978 to 19, 1980, so three years. So um, the name of the person is John Hurwitz, and uh, uh, he um, gave quite a long period of service to this council. So I would ask you all now to observe, to be standing and to observe a moment's silence in his honour, in his memory. Thank you. Thank you very much. Don't touch. Um, a few announcements to make before we get to the business of the meeting. Um, fire precautions. There are no um, uh, practice fire drills uh, scheduled, so if the fire alarm should sound then everybody should use the main staircase and make their way out in the same way as they came in. Um, hopefully that won't be necessary. Um, something which, we, which is um, very new and we must draw to the attention of everyone here is that uh, these uh, proceedings are being broadcast um, tonight live on the internet for the first time to my knowledge and so uh, but everyone who is speaking here tonight should be aware of this I think the um, the only other um, general announcement I need to make is to um, ask that um, members of the public um, whatever the temptation, we would be very grateful if they would refrain from interrupting the, the uh, proceedings as we are used not to having interruptions during the meeting. Thank you. Um, <coughs> we have seven speakers tonight from, from the public and um, the uh, first public speaker we have is uh, Joanne Stone, if you'd like to come to the table there, would you press the control? On? Thank you. Good evening. I'm Joanne Stone and I live in Saffron Walden. Tonight I hope to raise your awareness of air pollution. Why? Because air pollution causes 29,000 deaths in the UK every year. That's one person every 20 minutes. Because it kills more people than alcohol and obesity combined because you're 16 times more likely to die from it than on the roads, and because it affects children and the infirm the most. 
That's why the EU want to fine us. So why is this important to you, the members of UDC? Because Saffron Walden has had several junctions above the legal limits of nitrogen dioxide, NO2, since 2007. And while NO2 is a pollutant itself, very importantly, it's also a marker for others. The World Health Organization is clear. Where these levels of NO2 exist, dangerous levels of other toxic pollutants, including ultrafine particles, carbon monoxide, and ground-level ozone will be present. And Public Health England has told Uttlesford that there are no safe levels for ultrafine particles. So, for seven years, UDC has had a responsibility, indeed an obligation, to reduce these levels of pollution. Five years ago, UDC's aim was to reduce them as soon as possible. Yet levels in Saffron Walden's AQMA have remained stubbornly above the limit. The action plan simply hasn't worked. That's the current situation, and what about the future? First, the challenge is about to become harder still. There are several large approved developments in town still to be completed. So air pollution will worsen. The developer's own reports prove this. Secondly, the plan you're considering tonight must raise pollution levels even further because it increases traffic in the AQMA. And traffic is the primary contributor to pollution in towns, according to both the Department of the Environment and Essex. The Air Quality Assessment commissioned for the plan confirms that the town will still be above legal limits in 2018, and it cannot reassure you about 2026, even with new lower emission engines accounted for. The updated highways impact assessment shows why. The junction capacity in town will be worse with this plan in place. Even with mitigation, five junctions will be above capacity in 2031, where there was only one in 2012. Mitigation just moves the new traffic and its pollution around the town, often to busy pedestrian school routes. Yet despite this compelling evidence, Mr Harborough writes, we believe that these housing developments in Saffron Walden are consistent with achieving air quality objectives. In other words, he says you will be able to revoke the AQMA while implementing this plan. Something doesn't add up. Please consider carefully how Saffron Walden could live healthily if these illegal levels of pollution continue for years to come. Because if you ratify this plan, that is what you will be choosing. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Mr. Spoon. Our second speaker is Mr. Dan Starr. Uh, good evening, members of the Council. Thank you very much for your time uh, this evening. I'm the Chair of uh, We're Residents, uh, and I'm speaking on behalf of many, many residents of our district, and tonight we ask that you reject the draft of the local plan that will be before you. Uh, this plan is fatally flawed. It seems designed to damage the largest number of communities in our district, and it has no support from voters and taxpayers. As a result, trust in the Council is at an all-time low. The process to produce the plan is flawed. It was prepared backwards. Instead of using comparative sustainability analysis to guide locations, developers were asked to form a queue and sites seemingly chosen on a first-come, first-served basis. Then the required infrastructural analysis retrofitted to try to support what the developers wanted. It doesn't fit. The resulting plan is both unsound and unsustainable, particularly with regard to its required NPPF obligations relating to traffic, highways, jobs, education, water, and it breaks legally required air quality levels. 
UDC can't point the finger at other authorities for this. UDC is required by the law to take account of these issues in the formation of the plan. Additionally, the foundation on which the plan is built is incorrect. It uses an annual baseline figure of 523 new homes a year, which is significantly proportionally higher than any neighbouring district. When there is no plan to produce jobs at a higher rate than either East Hearts or a booming South Cambridgeshire, what is the justification to build an excess of new homes in the number one rural location in the country? On top of this, the views of many of the town and parish councils and the people in the wards that elected you have been ignored and not properly considered. In fact, the cabinet system even means that many of your voices are not being equally represented and therefore the people that you're elected to represent aren't being heard. The plan is the least sustainable and worst of all the options that were proposed. It was rejected in 2012 and again in 2013. The plan here tonight is, in, to all intents and purposes, the same plan, just with more houses. Here's a sobering thought. The 99% rejection by voters and taxpayers was a higher margin than any members of this council were elected at the last election, except for those that were unopposed. Because this plan is unsound, it will be contested in front of the planning inspectorate. That means it will cost council taxpayers more money to defend what you and residents already know as a dud. As we approach the district elections in the next 12 months, we urge you to think about the wishes of those that elected you to represent them. Reject this plan and start, please, to rebuild trust in our district council. And as this is the most important decision facing the district in several generations, the residents of Uttlesford require complete 100% transparency in the form of a recorded vote tonight. Thank you. Can I draw your attention to the fact that it is this sort of applause which is going to make this a very long evening? So can I ask you to can I can I ask you to restrain your enthusiasm and listen to what the speakers have to say without taking up? I'm, I'm hearing shouting, and I don't really want to hear that because if that happens, and uh, the person concerned will be asked to leave the chamber, and if they don't leave the chamber, then the sitting will be suspended. So, and know exactly what you are um, doing if you're going to start interrupting proceedings. Thank you very much. Carry on, please, sir. Uh, Mr. MacDonald. Uh, my, my, name, my name is Ken MacDonald. I've been a resident of Stansted Mount Fitchett for some 30 years. I'm greatly saddened by the proposal before this Council to significantly alter the special characteristics that make Uttlesford one of the best places to live. I wish to raise two questions in connection with the proposed local plan. Firstly, could the Council please confirm that the overall housing target has not been set by central government and that responsibility for setting the target actually rests with this Council? That's the first question. My second question, um, given the district's special character and given the apparent desire of its residents and indeed this council to preserve that special character, will this council now either firstly refer back the housing target to the council's officers with a request that they present the council with alternative options, including an explanation of how nearby districts, East Hearts, South Cambridgeshire and Malden, arrived at their targets not adopting the highest projection by edge analytics as has Uttlesford, and in particular addressing my specific consultation submission that the target has been founded on an unrepresentative short-term base, 
that was distorted by exceptional one-off population growth associated with airport-related housing. And I'm asking if the Council can either do that or, if you do not refer back to the officers, then would you please explain why you've adopted this inflated housing target? Thank you, Mr. MacDonald. The two questions which Mr. MacDonald has put will be answered by Cabinet Member Mrs. Susan Barker. Chairman, would you like me to answer them now or later on? I mean, after the speakers. I, I think now would be appropriate. Oh, excuse please. me, I've left my council. No, it's over here. Thank you, Chairman, and thank you, Mr. MacDonald, for sending the questions in early, which did uh, allow me to formulate an answer. Um, the first question that you asked, um, the housing numbers for the district have been the subject of a previous consultation, and we believe that they are robust. The National Planning Policy Framework requires that a local plan meets the full, objectively assessed needs for housing in the area. The independent study by Edge Analytics used data from the ONS and a set of projections accepted by the Department of Communities and Local Government. Through a number of local plan working group meetings and the Cabinet, the numbers have been approved, but the final decision on whether the objectively assessed need has been met ultimately rests with the appointed independent inspector. To move on to your second question, the independent study took into account the existing population and historic trends as well as birth and death rates this is robust methodology acceptable to the government. Over the last few years, the Council has kept the housing numbers under review and has also noted and discussed the level of housing being set by our immediate neighbours. Councils across the country are at all different stages in producing their plans, but South Cambridge have just submitted their plan to the Inspectorate with a requirement for 19,000 homes over the same period as our plan a rate of 950 houses a year, and East Hearts are working on a plan for 15,000 homes, 750 a year throughout their plan period, both far higher numbers than Uttlesford is looking at. All councils have to go through the same process that we have followed, a call for sites, consideration of those sites submitted, agree on the objectively assessed need and identify sites to allocate. This has not been easy for the members who have attended these working group meetings, but it has been very time-consuming. Many members in this chamber, including myself, would prefer to see lower levels of growth, but we do have to take on board clear government guidance and experience gained from other local plan examinations around the country to ensure that the plan that we submit for examination is as robust as possible. The housing figures in the local plan are not inflated, but are considered to be a robust assessment of our objectively assessed need, which is the, the test that the inspector will apply. We will not be referring this plan back to Cabinet. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Barker. Mr MacDonald, you've heard the reply to your questions. Do you have any fur anything further you wish to say? Uh, I guess the only thing I have to say is to repeat my request that, the, that my, my proposals are seriously considered, um, particularly bearing in fact, in fact bearing, into account, bearing in account the fact that each of the three districts that I've cited, uh, East Hearts, South Cambridgeshire and Morden, did not choose the highest number that came out in EDGE analytics 
range of options. They chose something lower than the highest, whereas I understand Uttersford has chosen the highest growth option that was presented by Edge Analytics. Thank you very much, Mr. MacDonald. Thank you. Uh, the fourth speaker on our list is Mrs. Barbara Hughes. Good evening. Um, my name's Barbara Hughes, and my family have farmed in, in Uttlesford for three generations. Um, I'm a former Liberal Democrat uh, member of this council, um, representing Saffron Warden Castle. Um, the issues I want to raise um, relate to infrastructure and consultation. Uh, the infrastructure development plan has not been available for inspection. The documents it is based on are regarded as evidence, but there is no, has been no consultation with either councillors or the general public. For example, there is still no solution to traffic problems generated by the developments. Mitigation measures in the revised highway impact assessment move existing problems from one junction to another and will cost at least a million pounds and solve nothing. And there has been no consultation on recent changes. There has been no consultation on additional school facilities. Primary school provision is included as, as a last-minute add-on, but with no consultation. There are no proposals regarding secondary schools, and hence no consultation. Under infrastructure delivery for Saffron Walden, eight items are marked as critical, but will be resolved and paid for by individual developers. Lack of overview will lead to confusion and contradiction. And every site allocation policy in Saffron Walden still requires a transport assessment, air quality assessment, approved drainage strategy and flood risk assessment. The District Council is abdicating its responsibility and there is no overview on cumulative impacts. The necessary infrastructure should be properly planned, costed and consulted before the local plan is adopted. The BNP Paribas um, Sites Viability Assessment shows that the main housing site in Saffron Walden is only marginally viable. Additional infrastructure requirements will make it even less viable. The costs of the proposed link road and the possible compulsory purchase are not included. And there's a, re a real risk that the infrastructure needed, but not yet planned, consulted on or costed, will be so expensive that Saffron Walden will not get the affordable housing that local people need. And the town will be left in a very much worse situation than, uh, than every other in every other respect. We need to build houses, particularly affordable homes, for the young people in this area. But to pick unsuitable sites just because they happen to be available is a crass misjudgment. Failure to provide evidence to support the housing allocations and failure to consult with the local community means the plan risks being found unsound and Saffron Warden risks uncontrolled development. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs Hughes. Um, Mr Kirby. Could we have Mr. Simon Lee next, please? Good evening, Mr. Chairman, Council. Um, 
I'm a Henham Parish Councillor and I'm speaking on behalf of the Joint Parish Council Steering Group and Save Our Village campaign. I last spoke in this chamber in April 2008, some six years ago. You can imagine my disappointment that I stand here again today challenging the same issue, a flawed local planning process, forcing a single settlement on, a r- on rural land adjacent to Elsinham. There is a certain irony that Uttersford was recently voted best rural place to live in the UK and only weeks later you are proposing to destroy prime agricultural land and two small villages. The local plan process has been flawed from the start with the creation of the ill-conceived option four by a small number of councillors represented here. That plan was consulted on and later dropped in favour of a dispersed housing plan, a far more credible option. Andrew Taylor, however, has now done a U-turn, returning to a single settlement to meet the housing numbers required. Those housing numbers have been challenged and are themselves unsound. In 2010, the government dropped its top-down targets, dictating Uttersford provide 8,000 homes over 20 years. Uttersford's response in 2012 was a plan based on providing 8,300. Now in 2014, the plan is to provide just under 10,500, an increase of 26%. Two and a half thousand houses more than the government's 2010 target that you opposed. We wonder why. And then why dump them in a single settlement? May I remind you that this council refused permission twice for a development of only 800 homes on the same location that you are now proposing for 2100 in the new draft plan. Total madness. Nothing has changed. We, we still do not understand why the council is wedded to a single settlement in North East Elsinham and led by Fairfield. Our legal team made a freedom of information request to the council to explore this. It is worth noting that the council's response is still outstanding. We wonder why. I put to you, this latest local plan is unsound and ill-conceived, ignores the wishes of thousands of residents whose views have been registered via numerous consultations over the years and is a bolt-on to the existing plan. This council is in disarray as it embarks on another local plan consultation that will offer the same responses. However, this time Andrew Taylor has taken it upon himself to write to our chairman telling him how Save Our Villages group should respond to the consultation and that is by submitting just one submission. That's disgraceful, it's manipulative, it's unconstitutional and it shows inherent bias. I urge this council to reject the latest draft of the local plan and start again as an evidence-based bottom-up plan. I employ councillors to vote with their conscience and not with the whip and represent the residents of Uttersford appropriately. Please be reminded you will be judged in elections uh, just over a year away. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Ray Woodcock, please. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, Mr. Hyatt, beg your pardon. It's, uh, apologies, Mr. Hyatt, I got you out of order. Uh, my name is Bruce Hyatt. I've been living Alder Road for 28 years. Uh, I've just on this. Uh, subject tonight I have written personal letters to um, (coughs) sorry to the Chief Executive John Mitchell and to the Head of Planning Appeal Control Andrew Taylor Um, so uh, I feel a bit as though this may be I may be um, uh, a voice crying in the wilderness on this but nevertheless I really do want to make this point about (coughs) a bypass 
um, I feel we badly need a bypass if all this housing is going ahead and not just a little bit of a bypass but a big, nice, big, significant bypass and this means a bypass of national importance well, of course what I'm proposing goes beyond the resources of a local council the bottom line is this I just get the impression I don't know whether you do and I'm not quite sure I've, in a sense whether I've got this right uh, this balance between central government and the local governments but all right, okay, thanks. I was, I've got a hearing problem myself, so I wanted to make sure everybody could hear me. Um, that uh, I can't help feeling that the, the general um, attitude of the government to meeting the housing problem of, of the country, um, I, I feel that Downing Street doesn't have an inkling of quite how unreasonable and how destructive their order for X number of houses here is. Um, we, here we have our beautiful town at the moment basking in an accolade of being at the centre of a really choice rural area, but we're threatened by a desperate threat if there are too many people going to use too few roads all squashed together. Um, so can we stick this? What I'm proposing, whether you go along with this or not, is um, to break into the M11. Yes, I'm saying that, to break into the M11. So that's why I'm saying this is a national thing and not just a local thing. And um, have a new junction, let's call it number 8A, between uh, Quendon and Newport, and then have a dual carriageway road striding right over the countryside, um, over the two Debden roads, the Thaxted roads be... 184, and then somehow around the back of Shah Hill and Tesco, um, over the Radwinter Road, over the Ashton Road, and then ending up round regions. Now, is this crazy to ask for a thing like that? But um, so, uh, well, oh, I must say, um, with all due respect to John Lodge, it was with the greatest reluctance in the sense that I proposed this because I, he has said to me in personal conversation that he is wanting a um, bypass coming into uh, Sparrow's End Hill. Okay, that of course will give a lot of alleviation of the middle of the town. Mr. Hyatt, can I, can I ask you to wind yes. up now? You have exceeded your allotted so, time, sorry. But, to the, but do wind up if you would yeah, please. Okay, um, so what I'm saying is um, if we can have a big bypass coming virtually from Quendon right up, that will cut out Saffron Walden, that will cut out Newport. And um, I'm saying this is of national, not local importance. Therefore, can Downing Street be made to understand that we need some national money to do that? Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Hyatt. And our last speaker uh, is Mr. Ray Woodcock. Um, Mr. Chairman, um, Council Members, I'm Ray Woodcock. My home is in Stansted Mount Pritchett, and I am a community member of Attlesford. 
Um, I'm quite concerned with this so-called local plan. I will start by referring to a report commissioned by Bishop Storford Town Council. Total population in England increased by 7.3%. I've got all the facts, if you want to see them, they're in here. The population of Bishop Storford increased by 6.6%. The population in Stansted Mount Fitchett increased by 22.7%. Again, the figures are here. Um, the data, uh, 2001 census and 2011 census. The data, as I've said, is from the two census. Um, Stansted has not yet been able to simulate this massive increase of 22.7%. There, there has been one infrastructure improvement. And what do I mean by infrastructure? Our road system is unchanged. Our primary schools cannot cope. There's a new primary school. Um, it was only opened uh, for three months and then it was an unable to, to handle um, the children um, that needed it. Our health centres, um, our health centre have not the resources compared with smaller villages um, in, in Athelsford. And our highways are inadequate. They were designed over 100 years ago. It is not possible to increase their capacity unless many dwellings are demolished. But maybe that's part of your plan. Um, Essex County Council data, um, and that's Essex County Council Highways data, it shows very, very clearly that the B1383 carries over 16,300 vehicles in a 16-hour weekday period. The single track B1051, um, uh, and, and everybody from... Uh, Elsham and Henham know that very well. It's the notorious Grove Hill. It carries over 4,800 vehicles, again, in the 16-hour um, uh, weekday period. At times, these, these roads are gridlocked, resulting in traffic delays and high pollution, and you've heard a lot about pollution already this evening. But this doesn't seem to matter to you guys, and it's absolutely appalling that you don't listen to these facts. All need to open your, eye, your eyes and your minds to the consequences of the new town of Helsingham. Our roads cannot handle more traffic and dangerous air pollution will increase. I don't like to use the term climate change. It seems to generate too much irrational comment. But it is accepted that our climate is increasing increasingly experiencing extremes of weather. What this will bring is already happening. Major local flooding. Um, oh, uh, Lower Street in Stansted, it doesn't flood anymore. That was something that happened 20 years ago. Um, you should have seen what happened uh, just a few months ago. Mr Woodcock, would you please begin to wind up? You are, you've exceeded your three uh, minutes. Uh, another two sentences, Mr Chairman. Thank you. Um, uh, flooding. Some parts um, of the world are inhabitable. Food cannot be grown in other parts and people are starving. Oil is becoming more difficult to extract, forcing up prices of all products including food. 
We desperately need to keep the arable land we now have to feed our population and become less dependent upon imported food. Please, District Councillors, put aside your political point scoring and you must rethink this local plan for the long-term benefit of us and our children. This is not a sustainable plan. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Thank you, Mr Thank you, members. We, uh, we can now commence the council meeting. That concludes the um, public participation part of our evening, and now we come to the agenda before you. Um, before we start, we have uh, apologies for absence and declarations of interest. Uh, the apologies I have are for Councillor Kant, Councillor Artus, Councillor Asker, Councillor Lochlin, and Councillor Sadler. Uh, Chairman, I'd like to express a non-pecuniary interest in item 10.2, S18, Protocol for Employee and Councillor Planning Applications, as I act as an agent for an application currently with the Council. Thank you very much, Councillor. Do we have any other declarations of interest? Councillor Barker? Yes, Chairman, if I could declare an interest as a member of Essex County Council. Any other? Councillor Redfern. Thank you, Chairman. Yes, I too have a planning application in, so I need to declare an interest the same as uh, Councillor Ranger. Thank you. No more? Right, that concludes item one on the agenda. Apologies for absence, declarations of interest. And we move on to the main uh, item of the evening, item two, Uttlesford Local Plan, pre-submission consultation document. Um, I think um, the leader would like a few words. Thank you, Chairman. Chairman, members. Development of the local plan, the Uttlesford District Local Plan, has been a long and winding road, arriving at the point where we are this evening. That road began with the previous administration of this council right back in 2006. Along the way, the signposts have been moved by both the Labour government and the Coalition government many times. Those changes and the challenges they brought to local authorities have been debated on a number of occasions and I don't propose to go over them again this evening, except to say the result has been that district and borough councils, the length and breadth of the land, uh, still not having an adopted plan in place. However, we are now on the threshold of the submission of our plan. But before Councillor Barker speaks on her report, Mr Taylor, Assistant Director of Planning and Building Control, will outline to you where we are in the process, in the local plan process, and the next steps in that process. Thank you, Chairman. Mr Taylor. Thank you, Chairman. <clears throat> just a, a, a couple of slides to take you through, um, to, as the leader said, just outline the process where we are and the process going forward. So to start with, in terms of the reasons um, for a local plan, obviously it sets the framework for development within the district. At the top level of national government, we have the National Planning Policy Framework. 
and the, the local plan interprets that at a local level, setting that in a local context. It sets policies for planning applications to be considered against. The vast majority of applications we have um, are dealt with by officers or through the planning committee and are assessed against these planning policies. The plan does obviously allocate land for housing, employment, open space, education and a whole host of other purposes. When it's adopted, the allocated sites form part of the five-year land supply. Before the adoption, they don't form part of that. And as a result of both the adoption and um, the more robust five-year land supply, development boundaries are therefore stronger. The process that we need to follow is that the Council is required to carry out a number of stages of consultation. You'll be aware we've done a number of stages already. These are set out within the regulations given to us by government. The next stage is a formal consultation under Regulation 19, which is the pre-submission consultation, and that is then followed by submission under Regulation 22. Following that, an independent uh, inspector is appointed by the planning inspectorate to hold an examination into the local plan. In terms of the key facts, the local plan time, uh, time period is from 2011, the end of the current local plan, to 2031, a 20-year period, which is 16 years post-adoption. It is based on a dispersal strategy of housing and employment across the district, and as has already been mentioned um, tonight in answer to a question, it includes a total housing of just under uh, 10,500, and although out of that, just over 4,000 are already committed housing sites. The next steps going forward from today um, would be a pre-submission consultation, minimum of six weeks consultation in, during April and June uh, this year. Considering the consultation responses received and then following that a submission in July 2014. After that, the timetable is governed by the planning inspectorate, but the uh, expectation is that the examination will be in the autumn of 2014, likely in October, with the adoption in spring, adoption of the plan in spring 2015, um, following any recommendations by the inspector. So, Chairman, that's a, a brief run-through of the process uh, going forward for the local plan. Thank you very much indeed. <coughs> We hope that will be of help to everyone. Um, in that case, can I ask um, Councillor Susan Barker um, to um, take us through the Oxford um, Local Plan pre-submission consultation document. Thank you, Chairman. Chairman, thank you very much to the speakers this evening who've come along and, and spoken so well about things they feel passionate about. I think it's very important that there is a place for, for people to speak and get their points across. And thank you as well to Mr Taylor for his presentation. This evening, I'm asking members to endorse the pre-submission local plan as sound and to agree it as the basis of the pre-submission Regulation 19 consultation, which will take place for a minimum of six weeks from April to June this year. The detailed recommendations are set out in paragraphs A and B of your tabled paper. Chairman, we have been working on this new plan for many years, and there have been a number of public consultations. The most recent consultation ended in January this year. 
This last consultation identified new additional sites in Great Dunmo, in Elstenham and in Saffron Walden, required to deliver new market and affordable homes at a rate of 523 a year throughout the plan period. The local plan working group, open to all elected members, has met on many occasions and considered individual studies and strategies, from employment growth to airport parking, conservation areas and sports facilities, as well as the Essex Highway study. The strategic and development management policies in the plan that have been developed as a result are there to be used by officers and the planning committee in determining applications. The local plan working group has, of course, also considered the housing need for the district, the sizes and types of housing needed for Uttlesford residents present and future through the strategic housing market assessment work. Locations where this housing could be accommodated have been assessed through the Strategic Housing Land Availability Assessment, or SHLA. The SHLA identifies all sites put forward by landowners and developers for housing and employment use, and each of these sites has been assessed for sustainability, suitability and deliverability. It is from this assessment and these sites that the sites identified in the pre-submission plan have been selected. Unfortunately, Uttlesford has very little brownfield land that has not already been developed, and so the majority of the new sites will by necessity be on greenfield sites, although we are avoiding green belt sites. Appendix 2 of the plan sets out in detail the infrastructure needs that have been identified to ensure that new sites are sustainable. These range from highways improvements to education facilities, health facilities, local community facilities, open space and upgrades to sewage works. By setting out these requirements, developers understand at an early stage that proposals will only be acceptable when they can deliver this required infrastructure. Consultation responses received by the Council were considered by the Local Plan Working Group in October last year and further responses in February this year. And as a result of comments from the public, some changes have been made. Examples of changes include a reduction in the overall number of houses in Newport, a change to the site size of the allocation in Thaxted, and the additions of requirements for contribution to the Wendham Road Cycleway, and a reduction of overall densities to an average of 30 dwellings per hectare. Our planning committee have a crucial role to play when considering applications of ensuring that the Section 106 agreements that accompanies any permission setting out affordable housing requirements, highways and other infrastructure works is robust and fit for purpose. Chairman, this final consultation is not about where we build homes and schools and shops and health facilities for us and for future generations. The sites and the numbers have been the subject of previous consultations. This consultation is about whether a number of legal tests have been met the plan is to be published so that representations can be made before it is submitted to the Secretary of State for examination by an independent inspector. The inspector will check that the plan meets all the legal requirements for plan preparation, that the Council has complied with the duty to cooperate and is sound. The tests for soundness of the plan are that it has been positively prepared and is meeting the objectively assessed need for development, that it is justified in that it is the most appropriate strategy when considered against alternatives, that it is effective in that it can be delivered over the plan period, and that it is consistent with the national planning policy framework. Chairman, I have lived in Uttlesford for 25 years, 
and like many people here tonight, wish to see all that is good about Uttlesford preserved. The best way to do this is to have a plan in place, with policies to protect and enhance our district wherever we can, and to define where development will occur. I would like to move the recommendations, Chairman, and are happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Councillor Barker. Do we have a second for the um, motion? <coughs> Councillor Rose. Thank you. Um, does, who wishes to speak to the... Councillor Eastham, I think, has uh, spotted first. Thank you, Mr Chairman. <coughs> uh, the question comes after the preamble. We all know that housing is needed in the southeast because people choose to live here. We further know that if the southeast doesn't supply that housing through its local authorities, the government, of whichever political persuasion, will force them to do so under its own terms. At the moment, we have the opportunity to decide how our allocation of the future development may happen. A local plan has been devised which gives us housing, recreation and business use. If this plan is to proceed, it needs to do so in a well-organised and minimally disruptive way. The question I have, Mr Chairman, is how can we be assured that all Section 106 agreements, with particular reference to those relating to education, health provision and highways, will accompany which accompany the various planning permissions, if they are granted, will be properly fulfilled to ensure all supporting infrastructure is in place before the occupation of any new properties. Thank you, Chairman. Councillor Barker, will you take those questions? Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, it is not always possible to have all the infrastructure in place before houses are occupied. On some occasions, there will be one in six agreements that stipulate that various measures have been taken before occupation. For example, the Smith Farm site at Dunmo, there is a stipulation that before houses are sold or occupied, that the improvements to the junctions will be undertaken. Um, it is very much for the planning committee, of which I believe you are a member, to be assured that the way that the 106 agreement is drawn up is suitable for purpose. Thank you, Councillor Barker. Councillor Mawson, I think you wish to speak. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, I've been honoured to represent, first of all, Henham and Ugly since 1995, and then Henham and Elsenham. But I hope that members tonight will take on board what I'm saying for the whole district, even though I'm obviously going to be championing these two villages. Mr Chairman, we've heard a lot tonight about rules and regulations and policies. What I'd like to focus on are people and their reactions. The first thing, Mr Chairman, is a number of people are here tonight because they've been excluded from the series of deliberations that have led to this plan. That's why they're here now. People are puzzled and bewildered as to why a location in north-east Elsenham, which has been rejected, as Mr Simon Lee said, by the Planning Committee on two occasions for 800 houses, a lesser amount than the 2,100 being proposed, has now been chosen by the administration for the same, in the same site as a major and main plank of their new local plan. This is incongruous. They are also wondering why the administration 
is persisting with a developer to the exclusion of all others who has consistently Councillor failed... Councillor Mawson, we cannot go into the merits and demerits of particular development proposals I'm not at this stage. We, we are discussing the plan as a whole, not individual sites or individual developers. I'm sorry, Mr. So Chairman, you, you could can't discuss the plan as a whole could, without reference to what the plan contains. I don't see how you can actually... In that case, your, your, your then do please try to keep your comments general rather than no, specific sites. I'm sorry, I can't. So do you want me to be quiet? I can't do it. How can you talk about a local plan with specific sites, the merits of the plan, if you're not allowed to refer to them? Oh, you're f- uh, Councillor um, Morrison. How can you? Thank you. Would you like this meeting suspended? Because, um, as, as this is typical, Mr Chairman, of debate being curtailed. And we'll hold, the, we'll hold the meeting without Ridiculous. the public present, if you wish, if you would prefer it. It won't be a meeting because no one will be allowed to speak. Chairman, I wonder if I could just, uh, just help. Um, I think the, the way forward, Councillor Mawson clearly prepared some, something for us to hear, and I think we should hear it. Um, members do have to take a decision in the round, however, so it's probably the, uh, the, I agree the with that, but I don't see how you can make a case without fair. reference to specific cases. And in fact, the case I'm going to make about the stupidity of choosing North East Elston relates to the credibility of this council in producing a plan which is flawed on the basis of that location and how members can actually approve something which has been deeply flawed. So I have to make the case for that in order to make the case for opposing the plan. So why people here want to hear things. They want to know why a developer who has consistently failed to substantiate their case for development in North East Elsinore has been continually approved by this council as their main developer to the exclusion of everyone else. When Caroline Flint came here in 2008, the then housing minister, when we were looking at the site of Elsenham as an eco-town, a question was asked about how the developer Fairfield were going to uh, facilitate 60% employment in the actual new site, uh, thus preventing transport around the site. The uh, representative from Fairfield could not give me one name of one employer that was going to come to Elsenham. 60% of people were going to be employed in Elsenham. They couldn't give me the name of one employer. How and why should we believe them now? This is the case. It's in their plan now. How do we know this is going to happen? I note uh, this similar claim is being made. Their promises then can't be taken seriously. Um, I'm sorry. Been put off a little bit. Never mind. Um, the council are going to be asked to justify this plan when the planning inspectorate comes. And I note from the planning inspectorate document that they say for approval of a plan, it has to be first of all based on sound planning decisions. This plan is not based on sound planning decisions. For example, the site in Elsenham was never approved or recommended by officers. It was recommended by a particular councillor in the office, in the council here. It was turned down as a Labour eco-town proposal. It's been turned down twice for 800 houses. It's been turned down on the grounds of 
high-status arable land, nothing to do with infrastructure. That doesn't change 800 houses to 2,100. It's arable land. How can you therefore have it on planning grounds as your main basis for a local plan? You can't. Secondly, the statement says that all deliberations must be inclusive. The LDF in this council, since the plan started, has never been open to the public, as it is in the two neighbouring Conservative authorities. No LDF minutes were given to the Scrutiny Committee in November when they had to look at the veracity of the plan, and yet the Scrutiny meeting had taken place. We had the minutes of the Cabinet, but not the, scrutiny, not, sorry, not the LDF meeting that, uh, that actually preceded it. And the reason for that, I guess, is that it was a very narrow decision to endorse this plan. It was 7-4, but when you consider that uh, four members of the Cabinet were members of that local development framework, you take them out of the equation, 3-3 is not a massive endorsement of this plan. I also noted that uh, earlier this week we were told by the uh, council press officer that we were going to be able to listen to the deliberations of the local development framework on the 31st of March. A little later, we had another email saying that this was not going to be the case. Why? Why has everyone been excluded from the LDF? This is the community of the people, not just the members. Uh, thirdly, the plan must be fair. Well, is it fair? Uh, Elsnum, in the last plan, has taken three considerably sized uh, developments which has increased the size of that village by 50%. They are now going to be seen as the major plank of a new local plan with 2,100. That is not fair. Just demonstrably not fair. With regard to the wider uh, plan and Saffron Walden and Stansted, I was present in the May 2011 a meeting when the plan was revised. I hold my hand up to say that I voted for that in principle because that's exactly what we were asked to do. When uh, Councillor Rich and Councillor Watson raised questions about Saffron Walden and Stansted, we were told we're voting for a plan in principle. There will be time and development time ready for these people who have their concerns to have them uh, aired and looked at. That has never happened. I therefore urge this Council to reject this plan. Thank you. Councillor Parr. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, firstly, I'd like to call for a recorded vote on this item. Members of the Council, this is certainly not the first time I've stood in front of you and made a plea for you to forget party lines and whips and help me to save Elsnum. However, I will admit that this is the first time I've stood in front of you to ask for your help to save the district and for some of you, your own wards. Tonight we've heard from members of the public, all who've raised significant concerns. I urge members to listen to them. In Saffron Walden, they're having to brace themselves for inappropriate development and have been told to expect at least 20% increase in housing, all of which is in the wrong place. One study shows that traffic outside these offices is expected to increase by nearly 260%. <coughs> Dunmo is an area which I think we can all agree has more than had its fair share of new homes. 
But the local plan in front of you today wants to see even more houses dumped in Great Dunmo without even rectifying the problems with infrastructure the town already has. What you will be voting for tonight is a series of box-ticking exercises, not a thorough and well-thought-out plan. This plan has been rushed through after years of indecision and means that as members we are put in a position where what is in my opinion is an unsound plan is put before us. The latest consultation was a total sham. Thousands of responses were against the proposals and these responses were completely ignored. The Environment Agency raised significant and reasonable issues surrounding the extra housing in Elsenham and these have been ignored. What is the point in a consultation if responses aren't listened to? I can only assume they're a box-ticking exercise. We have been repeatedly criticised by the administration for refusing to attend meetings of the local development framework. I stand firmly by our decision that the local development framework meeting should be held in public. We gave this council an opportunity to join its neighbouring authorities in doing so and we were refused. We do not want to be part of a process which engages in secretive behaviours. Plans for a bypass around Stansted and Elsham have surfaced out of nowhere. Sites within this local plan are being threatened with judicial review and the plan hasn't even been agreed yet. This is a rushed job and the cracks are already beginning to appear. I certainly will not be voting for this local plan. Members should be reminded that this is their last chance to publicly show their true feelings towards these plans. We were elected to voice the concerns of our residents to the council, not to toe the line of senior members of our party at the detriment to those who voted for us. <coughs> members, I urge you to vote against the local plan tonight because the Cabinet has consistently neglected to back up their assertions with evidence in any documentation which has been presented to the Council. It is deeply flawed to submit a local plan document to Council without written justification. We appreciate that there is a need for more houses in the district, but rushing this plan through on the basis of numbers rather than listening to communities is simply wrong. Please vote for your community tonight. Councillor Rose, please. Thank you very much, Chairman. Um, fair? Really? What about the workers? Really, I, I ask you, we have something like 31,000 households in Uttlesford, of which only 320 are shared ownership. That's outrageous. We need more affordable housing in this district, and the only way we can actually achieve that is increasing the opportunity for the workers to be housed and employed here. We want to develop Uttlesford. Housing prices in Newport and probably in the rest of Uttlesford have skyrocketed. I personally spent 15 years waiting for a house that I could afford which went from 60,000 to 160,000 to 260,000. How is that affordable for a worker like me and my daughter is getting married in Newport. She grew up in Newport. She has friends in Newport. She wants to work from Newport. She wants to have an affordable house in Newport. She can't do that with house prices year on year increasing by 5%. We need more affordable housing. I am privileged to live in Balcourt Close, which is an affordable house by Haster House. It means that I can afford to work and live here. My daughter needs to work and live here with her fiancé. She is moving up from, from London. She wants to work in Cambridge. He wants to work in the city. And they want to commute out of Newport. They want to spend their money in Newport and the surrounding area. We need more affordable housing. 
and we want to achieve it, not in, as you say, areas which are going to be dominated by developers, but we need areas that can be dispersed around the area. And Newport is very lucky, and we are very grateful, to have our housing numbers reduced to a sustainable level, to include affordable housing. And I urge members to recommend this uh, uh, local development plan because it does give the opportunity to have affordable housing where people want them, when they want them, and are at the right price. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Rose. Uh, next, we have Councillor Ranger. Thank you, Chairman. Hello, Members. Is our plan sound? As we have been advised, that is the question we are here to consider, and following that consideration, we must give an answer. To my mind, the plan does everything that it says on the tin it should do. It sets policies, it allocates land for various uses. Within each allocation of land for housing, it states what is... Due to a fault, some of the audio is missing at this point. Hold the LDF meetings in public. If tonight's evidence is anything to go by, no business would ever be done. Because sensitive matters... I rest my case. Sensitive matters have... Could you allow the member to speak, please? And if you keep shouting out, I'll ask you to leave the room. I heard you. I picked you out. If you keep on, you'll be asked to leave the chamber. Do you want to leave the chamber? Sandra, just... Sensitive matters need to be discussed at LDF level. Sensitive matters that people will not agree with. Now, the housing has to go somewhere and we can't please everybody all the time. Whoever imagined that is possible is, is not really concentrating on the issues. Now, I've not been able to get to every LDF meeting, but I do know that every time I've been there, when the group has had to look at a piece of evidence, the underlying theme has been, is the plan sound? Over the three years I've been a member of the group, the goalposts have been moved significantly at least twice. Ultimately, when our plan goes for examination, and it will, an inspector will decide whether the plan can be adopted for the district. Therefore, colleagues, we must bear in mind that we answer the question we're after tonight, not for our own particular patch, but for the district. However, there's one aspect of the plan I would like to draw to attention, if I may, Chairman. That is policy, or rather one policy in particular, whereby every new housing development of more than one house must contribute to the provision of affordable housing in the district. Without getting too historical, it is housing associations that provide the vast majority of affordable social housing within the UK. In Uttlesford, we are a special case for two reasons. Firstly, we decided to keep our housing stock when we could have offloaded it. Instead, we partnered with housing associations to service our housing waiting list. Secondly, and again without getting too deeply into the history of the matter, we have the ability now to build council houses again, and we are doing so. 
If I get the opportunity to attend the housing conference later this year, I will be trumpeting that fact from every available seminar that's there. But we are only building a few. And with an increasing population, I mean, you can look at the sense of returns, if in any doubt, more houses are needed, and therefore more affordable social housings are needed. We as a council cannot meet that need without planning for more houses. We cannot make up for the current shortfall in education. Due to a fault, some of the audio is missing at this point. That they have a choice when they want to move out. Chairman, with your permission and my colleagues' indulgence, I'd like to conclude by describing a case study that I have permission to publicise. The gentleman in question admits he's not perfect, but he counts himself as a lucky man. Uh, 25 years ago, he was made redundant for the second time in his working life. During the third recession, he'd had to endure in his chosen field of work. At that time, he was well paid, he had a mortgage, which he says, although he was paying around 15% interest rates, he was managing. Little did he know that he, in common with a lot of people, I guess, was just six months from being broke. Having been made redundant, he tried to get new employment, he found that difficult, so he started to work for himself. Ultimately, this man had to sell his home at a time when prices were in freefall for a small fraction of the valuation that they had just a few months previously. He tried to buy a smaller house, but being self-employed for only a short period of time, he failed to meet the lender's criteria. He went into private rented accommodation, but with only a short tenure available, he had to move three more times in a few short years. In work again now, he had a mountain of debt to cope with and rapidly rising private rental rates. On the third occasion of being asked to move again, at the last result, he approached this council and eventually was able to be housed with us. So you see, colleagues, the continuation of a new supply of social housing is so critical and to kick this plan into touch at this time will effectively stifle that supply and people like that man I have described would be unable to have a safety net. I would not deny anybody that. I was that man. Will you deny others? Thank you, Councillor Ranger. Uh, the next speaker we have is Councillor Howell. Uh, Mr Chairman, um, for those who are listening outside this building, um, for members of the public who are here tonight, my name is Simon Howell. I'm the councillor for the Samfords Ward. Um, we've been wrestling with this challenge for seven years now. I've been a councillor for seven years and it was one of the first things we started talking about. Councillor Kettridge reminds us that in fact the process started even before I joined this council. And repeatedly I've heard this evening and throughout the seven years a recognition that we need more houses but for some reason not here in Uttlesford. And we need to remind ourselves of a few basic facts. I was born a little over 50 years ago when the population of the UK was 50 million. It took roughly 50 years for it to grow by 10 million. Um, it's now at 60 million. The current projections are it's going to grow by another 10 million in less than 20 years. We are experiencing the largest population growth that this country has ever experienced. We need to remind ourselves at the same time we have not been building houses. 
Um, it's a simple fact that when I was married in 1986, the average new home for a married couple, a starter home, was 2.5 times salary, average salary. Even after the Great Recession that we are now coming out of, it's five times. Housing is now increasingly unaffordable for most people. What's astonishing also is if you go to the National Statistics Office and look at the number of houses that we used to build and what we build now, in 1970, we were building 360,000 new houses a year in this country. Last year, we built a third of that number, about 125,000. And that's, a, that's not just because last year we didn't build very many houses and we'd previously be building a lot. We have consistently been building a third less than we were building in the 1970s. And let's not kid ourselves that it's uh, due to a, a lack of social housing. Local authorities in 1970 built 175,000 council houses. Last year, they built less than 1,000. Housing associations have not made up that slack. In 1970, they built 10,000 affordable houses. Last year, they built 30,000. We have a massive mismatch in this country between supply and demand. It is only going to get worse. We also have to remind ourselves that as much as we love Uttlesford, and heaven knows many of us moved here because it's attractive and rural and pleasant and a nice place to bring up families, we have some particular local challenges. Stansted Airport, the largest private sector employer in the United Kingdom, uh, sorry, in East Anglia. We're close to Cambridge. We're within easy commuting distance of London. All these things have an impact on us. And we need also to remind ourselves that two years ago, we were marked as being the district authority which had one of the top ten fastest growing populations. Um, we are an attractive place to move. It's repeatedly shown in surveys. People want to move here as a consequence. And the challenge for us as a council throughout this seven-year process has, to be, has been to come up with a realistic projection of population growth that will secure the approval of government. Um, one of the challenges that we faced is that the guidance has significantly changed over that time. We have had to make adjustments as guidance from government has changed. Um, we initially wanted to put in place a single site and, and, and I'll be honest and say that I've been on record of, of supporting a single site settlement, although at that stage it was significantly smaller. Um, that proposal, from, based on guidance from government, um, meant that we had to look at alternatives and we've had to adopt a hierarchy of settlements with, with larger communities taking the largest allocations. Um, the truth is that no matter how much we like, may like particular locations or find other locations unattractive, the Council is only able to consider those sites that have been put forward by their owners or their agents. Um, as I understand it from officers, in addition, the guidance from government has been clear. No matter how much we might think it should be a factor, the absence of infrastructure, whether it be schools or roads, etc., are not a consideration for assessing a site. In the view of government, these come later through Section 106 agreements. Similarly, issues such as traffic and congestion are, again, not reasons to reject a site. We may find this... I, I'm, I'm afraid to say I have to tell you this as the world is, as opposed to the way I would like it to be. 
we have a responsibility to come up with a solution, however unpalatable, that conforms with the guidance that we have received. Local government inevitably is a population contest and there's been reference to the fact that it ultimately all of us have to face our electorate in due course. Why would councillors do something that we know is deeply unpopular? We do it because the consequences of not doing it are even worse. And we need to remind ourselves, sadly my experience of being a councillor is that often it appears that I make decisions on a range of unpalatable choices. There are no easy solutions to many of these things. But I remind myself I'm not a member of a trade union. I'm not a delegate. I'm not sent here to represent the wishes solely of what people tell me and how I should vote. I'm responsible for weighing up the evidence. I listen to the representations and I'm grateful for those members of the public and those councillors who speak to me on issues. But ultimately, I make decisions that I believe are in the best interests, no matter how unpalatable, of the district as a whole. This process has taken us seven years. I, well, in my experience, so far, seven years. I do not believe that it has been rushed through. The process has been robust and sound. I believe that it meets the legal tests. There is no textbook that we can rely on, take off the shelf, and say, this is how you prepare a local plan. We have had to adjust the arguments as the guidance from government has changed, as governments have changed and they've issued new guidance. Inevitably, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for members of the public. It's, it's unfortunately the world that we do live in. I think we need to remind ourselves of what are the consequences of not adopting the local plan in its current form. We would fall back on one single document, which is the National Planning Policy Framework. And that organisation, or that document, in the hands of a developer, will lead to wholesale development of this district. As unpalatable as many of the decisions are that we have to make tonight, oh sorry, that are contained in the local development plan, they are without doubt preferable to doing nothing. And I believe that those who oppose it should spell out the consequences of their alter the alternatives. What would be the consequences of rejecting the plan? What would be the consequences of doing nothing? Because they are severely worse than what we have in front of us today. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Hull. And the next speaker will be Councillor Evans. I want to thank the um, speakers for coming along this evening. And I'm just going to comment on two things. One is about the evidence, and I've been through the Council papers and the pre-submission consultation document, and I'm finding it very difficult to find the evidence to substantiate the claims that this is a sound plan for the district. The evidence base for the submission of the plan is not adequate. Evidence is the detail, and it's not statements saying that the evidence is sound. Where are the detailed evidence-based reports for sustainable developments in the district? There do not appear to be any recent evidence-based plans. Perhaps the last one was four or five years ago. Where's the detailed evidence for infrastructure? And I take on board um, Councillor Howe's comments about Section 106, but 
transport routes and infrastructure are frequently ignored. What about the details of cumulative traffic assessments across the district? The infrastructure reports are not sufficiently detailed to assess the impact on residents who are affected by these decisions. And a, and a small example for transport assessment data for the planning application for Elms Farm showed there was a minimal increase of 15 vehicle movements in the weekday per peak hour and the Speedwatch assessments and the data showed that that was flawed. There are very few details on infrastructure for houses that are being built across the district. So what do we have? We have across the district, we have congestion and anyone trying to get into Saffron Warden on a Saturday will see that, try and cross Stansted and get up Chapel Hill. We have schools of a total capacity across the district. Even the scrutiny committee last year made recommendations relating to sites and emissions and those concerns have been ignored. Regarding consultation, there was too short a period between the local plan group meeting on the afternoon 31st of March to recommend the local strategy and the cabinet meeting on the same day to rubber stamp the findings. So there's not been a chance for the public to comment on those decisions. Overall, there's been a lack of debate with the public and parish councils. Public consultation responses in June 2012 overwhelmingly rejected the strategy. But where's the evidence that now residents' priorities and views of the local community have been taken into account? We have an increase in housing numbers. So where's the consultation and the detailed evidence base for sites? suggested as those in Saffron Walden, in Elsinore and Great Dumno, and these are not sustainable. We seem to have a policy that bolts on settlements without considering what the impact is on residents. The Council refers to the fact that Uttlesford is one of the best places to live. Well, it won't be if we have this plan and it goes ahead. It's all very well coming for this meeting, but it's likely to be voted in regardless of the consequences. It's a bit like meeting with Barclays Bank today, where it seemed to have been a done deal. No one is suggesting that we have no houses. How could we possibly do that? It is the allocation on this plan that is flawed. In Ofsted, we make judgments on leadership and management and overall effectiveness of organisations and local authorities. This is based on detailed evidence, feedback and consultations with everybody involved. So with the lack of evidence, the consultation on sites or infrastructure and for the public to have their say, they would both be judged inadequate. So members, please stand by your residents. Vote against this plan which will probably be rejected when it goes to the inspector, so I urge you, support your residents. Uh, 
Councillor Menwell, please. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to Councillor Howell for his incredibly thoughtful statement. But it is not in my nature to make party political comments. But I do feel this evening quite incensed. I have listened to my colleagues across the chamber. I have, for the last uh, several years, attended, I think, probably 95% of the LDF meetings. They have decided to absent themselves from those meetings where they could have formulated the discussion and helped in the final decisions. They decided not to attend. I attended. I have no great joy in what we're about to uh, agree to, perhaps, but I do feel it needs to be known that my colleagues across the chamber have not in any way helped this uh, output at all, and they have no right whatsoever to make comments this evening. They've had their chance. They never attended the meetings where they could have helped formulate a sound plan. Thank you, Councillor Menor. I call on Councillor Lemon, please. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Just a couple of things. Um, We've heard a lot about affordable homes, and we do need affordable homes in Uttersford, and I think everybody agrees, but it's it's where are we going to put them. But I do... um, We need affordable homes for people. Uh, I don't say workers, because I I imagine that we're all working people, or most of us have worked most of our lives. So I don't like the word workers, but we do need homes for people. But could somebody tell me what will be the cost of these affordable... Due to a fault, some of the audio is missing at this point. ...of which way I'm going to vote. But I would also like to just support Councillor Menel... But I do feel that the Liberal Democrats, by withdrawing from the committee that was discussing all this, has actually they've disenfranchised themselves, and I feel that they've disenfranchised a huge number of the population that don't want to be a Liberal Democrat or a Conservative. They're ordinary people. They don't worry about politics. Their voice hasn't been able to be heard because the Liberal Democrats really withdrew from it. Thank you, Councillor Levin. The next to speak is Councillor Mackman. Thank you very much, Chair. I'll try and make this as brief as possible. First of all, I'd like to stress that as far as I'm concerned, the local plan should not be anything to do with party politics. And it's it's regrettable that some people are trying to politicise the debate. What I wrote down before I came out was, I'm not prepared to accept bland assertions that everything in the emerging local plan is compliant with all the appropriate legislative requirements and consequently sound. The consultation processes that have been conducted up until now have been cosmetic exercises and totally disregard all public responses that do not accord with the direction of travel that a small group would prefer. To ignore the inconvenient fact that some 98% of respondents to the first consultation exercise expressed opposition to the emerging plan then rather defeats the purpose of community engagement. Apparently consultation in this instance requires residents to approve the options laid before them or risk being ignored. The latest round of consultation related to a sudden requirement to add a further 2,700 houses to the planned total. I share residents' concern that this consultation did not adequately address where the employment opportunities would be 
all the, for the, all the additional residents should the houses materialise, nor has the question of schooling, health or transport been properly thought through. I appreciate that my view may not be popular with a certain group, but it is certainly shared by a considerable number of local residents. I am not persuaded that the evidence basis is objective. There are arguments for other matrices to be used to calculate required housing numbers across the district. I am not satisfied that sufficient attention has been paid to provision of infrastructure, education, health and recreation. I have been provided with evidence to suggest that the plan fails legal compliance with regard to community involvement in various locations and as such it would be wholly inappropriate to accept the plan in its current form. With regard to the risk of having planning matters dealt with under the aegis of the MPPF in the interim, I would comment thusly. We've been sub Due to a fault, some of the audio is missing at this point. Do just that. Councillor Knight, next, please. Um, well, as many of you know, I wasn't actually going to uh, attend this uh, meeting this evening, feeling it sort of was rather a fait accompli, um, but I received representations from both my parish councils, uh, really demanding that I came to express their concern and disagreement with the current plan. I was still reticent to get involved in the conversation, but I have sat here and felt the disrespect by some of the councillors here shown to the members of public uh, are outrageous. Um, I do feel that this should be above politics, and I think that the people that we represent have a right to voice their opinions, uh, and therefore it's... Um, made me stand up to be counted, something I didn't actually want to do, but I will. Um, I have always been surprised at the lack of ability for anybody in this council to go back to government and say, the South East is full. Um, you know, why it's always got to be here. I'm not of the Socks and Sandals Brigade, as I think is pretty obvious, um, but there is a world food shortage and the breadbasket of this country is East Anglia. And we're going to look pretty sick in 10 years' time when we've got concrete all over the arable farm where we need to grow. But that seems to be something people are happy to ignore. I think, uh, please, um, I had to listen to your fairy story about nonsense, so don't say nonsense to me, you're showing disrespect. Just keep quiet. <laughs> Could you please I've observe the I'm rules of procedure? Everybody here has a right to be heard and not to be drowned out by <coughs> mindless applause. Thank you. At my age, Mr Chairman, I'm very happy to be applauded. Um, I, have, uh, I have to stand up and be counted on the sense that I was one of the people that initially voted for the single settlement because that would have been advised by external opinion but not where it was going to be placed. I have always, and I have not moved from that thing, felt that it should be north of the district where there was access to Cambridge where most of the employment was, access to roadways and motorways. I was told that some of the area belonged to South Cams and I have never understood why we couldn't work together with South Cams to provide this sort of area with all the infrastructure that we need to go with it. Um, 
I'm not happy with the current plan. I don't think there's been enough consultation. Having said that, I do feel for the people that have had to put this plan forward, it's not been an easy task. Nothing has been easy about it. But I do feel strongly that we must listen to the local residents. And if there's time, let's, even if it's the 11th hour, try to look at the whole thing again and don't get to keep ringing up the affordable housing. We all know we need affordable housing and that's something that should continue oblivious to the main uh, structure and building of houses and I think most village parish councils are well aware of that and make every effort to accommodate the people with affordable housing in their area. Thank you. Councillor Eden, please. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr Chairman. Perhaps what I'm going to say won't earn me a round of applause, so we might be safe. Um, I really want to start at the top. I got involved in, uh, in local politics seven years ago, the same time as uh, Councillor Howe, for broadly the same reasons. And I wanted to have an influence over development, and we used to have a thing called development control. And I thought that meant you controlled development, but it doesn't actually work that way. The broad point I want to make, though, is we have to, and I'm a conservative and proud of it and have been for 50 years and intend to stay that way, and we actually have an issue, which is we have to build more houses, and the way you get the price down is you increase the supply. It is simple as that. You have no choice. There's no other neat tricks. If you want affordable houses or you want houses that people can buy at a price they can also afford, you have to build more houses. And my criticism of the local plan is that I don't think it meets the government's policy of building towns rather than uh, building, uh, you know, uh, in, around the edges. You build new towns. Now, I have argued that vigorously through the local development uh, plan process. All those minutes are available to look at. However, you reach a point where the argument isn't won, and I clearly not won it, uh, and we have a plan before us which we have to uh, judge. And Simon Howell has quite rightly identified uh, we are between a rock and a hard place. It does not work not having a plan. For those of us who have been involved in the local planning process, your worst possible position is to have no plan at all. And the danger we have tonight is if you don't vote for this plan, you don't have a plan. I think the best way to test the soundness of this plan, and I think I would share some of the comments about is it the right plan, is for the inspector to tell us. So whilst we're taking a gamble, I'm going to vote for this plan on the belief that the inspector is the best judge of whether this plan is sound or unsound. And his judgment will either favour some or favour others. But I, I believe that's the best way to do it. To vote against the plan and leave us with no plan at all, I don't think is a, is a sensible place to be in. Uh, so I will vote for this plan in the hope that if we could get any improvements, it will come from the inspector. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Councillor Eden. Councillor Foley. <clears throat> Thank you. I'll be very brief. Just uh, picking up a couple of, or one point that uh, Councillor uh, Howe uh, raised, which I agree with, that stands to the airport is one factor in all this, and it's a driver uh, to, to a certain extent some of the housing development. I think it just might be remembered that when, as we move forward, that a growth in sta a, a massive growth in Stansted uh, Airport uh, could end up with a further growth in housing in, in the future, and it's a, it's a it's a it's a point just worth 
uh, remembering. Uh, just very briefly, uh, somebody mentioned uh, party uh, uh, politics. Well, we will see if there's party politics involved, but I can assure you that I, haven't, I, haven't, I will not be uh, voting by, by any pressure being put on me by a political party. In fact, if it was a planning matter and pressure was being put on me by a political party, I would frankly leave that party. Uh, and uh, the, the, the point is that we will, we will see. I know that some uh, councillors have felt under pressure uh, in the past about uh, uh, to vote in a certain way, and I think that's really regrettable. And, and, and in that aspect, I agree with you. It's a damn shame that it has to come into it. But we will see. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Foley. Councillor Perry. Thank you, Chairman. I strongly believe in openness, fairness and transparency, which I've said many times in this chamber. Also, I'd like to remind everyone that we were elected to represent the people of Uttersford and listen to their concerns and take note of them. All I hear is, where is the openness, where is the fairness and where is the transparency? Although this is an outcome that I doubt I'm able to influence, I cannot support something that is so unsound as this plan is. Only time will decide who is right or wrong, along with the courts and the planning inspectorate. I cannot support a local plan that falls down quite considerably by not taking into consideration the potential impacts on environment, education and highways issues across all of Uttersford. It also conflicts with the MPPF on grounds of sustainability and is completely contrary to the Localism Act ideals. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Councillor Perry. Councillor Watson, please. Thank you, Mr Chairman. As we appear to be all making uh, slight declarations before we start, yes, I'm a Conservative, yes, I'm a member of the Local Development Framework Working Group, and I've also had the privilege of being a member of Saffron Walden Town Council. What we're being asked to agree today is that the plan as published is sound and does comply with the National Planning Policy Framework and is therefore sustainable. Also that we agree that it is the basis of the pre-submission consultation. How can we do that when we as a district council have never discussed or approved this plan in full council? Without the full examination of the plan, how can we be satisfied that this is the plan which we want to submit to public examination by the planning inspectorate. I appreciate that there is a slight get-out clause which adds subject to any further changes arising from the consultation. Well, given that we've ignored all previous public consultation comments, how can we even pretend to we believe that is going to happen? We must hold the record for the biggest rejection of a local plan in the UK, 99.7% of those who responded to our first consultation rejected it. Those who voted for it wouldn't fill two-thirds of the seats of the councillors in this council chamber. The report suggests that this plan has been prepared with reference to the National Planning Policy Framework. It may well have been, but it certainly doesn't comply with it. It makes the claim of being prepared after extensive public consultation, and that is true. If consultation means ticking a box on your checklist of things to do and then ignoring the results. <laughs> that is not to say that no changes were made after the first consultation, because they were. 
we decided to build even more houses in unsustainable locations, <laughs> to take even more employment land out of circulation, and to further increase the undesirable consequences of congestion and air pollution. The next consultation on the increases was actually rejected by 66% of the public, but again we've ignored that, and now what we're actually discussing here is the same old plan again. We should also remember that there were two further types of assessment of public feeling which took place as well, and they were called elections. The first was Wessex County Council, and the second was in Newport, and in each case, the candidate who was elected agreed with the public view on not building in non-sustainable places. No one, however, should take this as saying you should not take part in the next consultation. You must take part in the next consultation because it is only comments from that consultation that will actually go before the planning inspector when the plan, or hopefully if, the plan goes for approval. Obviously, I hope that will not happen today, as the plan we are discussing fails on the test of being sound, fails on compliance with the NPPF, and can never be described as sustainable and should be rejected. If I can be a little bit parochial, building on Saffron Walden's east side does not, not conform to the requirements of the National Planning Policy Framework, and the comments in paragraph 73 of this report, which we were given, or sorry, 7.3 of the report, went to Saffron Walden are absolute nonsense in claiming building to the east will not have a detrimental effect when it will force all traffic to travel across the town to access services and to commute to work and nothing is being done to reduce pollution or to prevent traffic congestion nothing is being done to reduce the dependence on the motor car which is a key feature and in fact building the east will actually guarantee the absolute opposite I believe the policy of dispersal being inflicted on the two towns, and yes, I will also vote for single settlement. I can't make up my mind where yet, because I wasn't in the council when they made those decisions, but I believe a single settlement, and I believe there's at least six different locations it could be on, and that they should be evaluated. But I believe the policy of dispersal, being inflicted on the two towns and larger villages, guarantees the most harm to the most people in the most places. And I'd say to representatives of Newport, Stansted, Mount Fitchett, Elsinham, Henham, Great Dunmo, Thaxted, Wimbish, Saffron Walden and its surrounding villages that this plan is not sound, it is not sustainable and will, if passed today, not end here because it will be rejected by the people that matter the most, the residents. When they're again ignored, I confidently expect the appearance before the planning inspector will be a prolonged and expensive procedure as towns, parishes and residents present their objections to this plan and this council is forced to try and justify what it has done. But in the meanwhile, I expect more developers will be invited to put in applications for the plan sites, that's the plan we haven't approved, and those who do will receive recommendations for acceptance by our officers. That's the plan by stealth and without any regard for the views of the current residents of Uttlesford and could well be what this council is remembered for. I would ask all my fellow councillors to accept we have this hopelessly wrong, morally, legally and with absolutely no public mandate. And if I can just take time to refer to a practice, planning practice guidance document which was issued on the 6th of March this year by Nick Bowles from the Department of Communities and Local Government which states, the coalition government is committed to reforming the planning system to make it simpler, clearer and easier for people to use, allowing local communities to shape where development should and should not go, 
planning should not be the exclusive preserve of lawyers, developers or town hall officials. We are also committed to ensuring that the countryside and environmental protections continue to be safeguarded and devolving power down not just to local councils but also down to neighbourhoods and local residents. This is a Conservative controlled council and that, that is the latest advice we have from a Conservative minister and we should be half-heartedly following it and not ignoring it. So I'm left with three questions which I have to answer tonight. Do I believe this plan is sound? I do not. Do I agree that the document as proposed should be submitted to the planning inspector? I cannot. Am I prepared to ignore the views of the residents of Saffron Ward and other Nascot residents? And the answer to that is I will not. <coughs> I will be voting against this proposal. Councillor Dean. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Excuse me. I, um, I have a set of words here which originally I thought I would put as amendments. I think it's more appropriate for me to put it as reasons for voting against the recommendation, in other words, rejecting the plan. I, I will read them out paragraph by paragraph and I would like them to be included in the minutes for voting. <coughs> the Council should reject the pre-submission local plan as being unsound and should instruct that a new plan is prepared by summer 2014 for the following reasons. The Cabinet has neglected to explain with evidence any documentation presented to Council of its assertion that the local plan is sound. This document says nothing. Submission of a local plan document to Council without written justification is deeply flawed. The Cabinet has received from the public an overwhelming rejection of the plan at its most recent and previous consultations and has failed to lead public opinion by the covert way in which it has prepared the plan and sought to impose it on most members of this Council and on the wider public of Uttlesford. The public in Dunmo, Elsnam, Henham, Newport, Saffron Walden, Stansted, Takeley, Thaxted and other communities across the district feel that the Council has provided no justification for ignoring their views. The public has no trust in the local plan process to deliver growth proposals in the most sustainable locations for access and transport and we've certainly heard a lot about that already. Fifthly, the pre-submission local plan reinstates the previously rejected new settlement proposal at North East Elsenham, an ill-considered expedient to address the shortfall in the Cabinet's housing forecasts, which it belatedly announced in autumn 2013 without any transparent evaluation of alternative ways of accommodating the increased housing numbers. The chosen option at North East Elsenham suffers from poor road access, <coughs> The previously claimed highway solution for southern traffic to use Hall Road out of Elsnum and down to Takeley has now been dismissed by Essex Highways as inadequate. A last minute, and I mean last minute, March 2014 alternative proposal by Essex Highways 
to um, <coughs> excuse me, I've lost my line. A, an alternative proposal by Essex Highways for northern bypass of Stansted Mount Fitchett was not presented in papers for consideration by either the local plan working group or the cabinet. And this appendix in the local plan, the infrastructure delivery plan, is totally silent on this proposal. It still talks about Paul Road. And that, to me, it's, because it's not addressed, I think that, again, this process, even this immediate process, is flawed. It, this, this, and I'd like to just say something very briefly, partly with my local member's hat on, uh, this proposal will aggravate congestion on the B1383 in Stansted Mount Fitcher and encourage mass urbanisation of the Henham, Elsnam and Stansted Mount Fitcher area as foreseen by Graham Eyre in the 1981-1983 highways, sorry, airports inquiries where incidentally he said that um, the Problem, the main problem in that area is, the, is traffic through the heart of Stansted Mount Fitchett and he was persuaded that a bypass would be too expensive and too difficult to locate. And here we have a last minute, unthought through, undiscussed proposal for a bypass which quite frankly is nonsense. The cost of a full bypass for Stansted Mount Fitchett or any other effective road access scheme for North East Elsinham has not been evaluated and costed so the deliverability of this element of the pre-submission local plan is in doubt and the plan is unsound. And for that reason, those reasons in total, I will be voting against this proposal, along with members, I, I'm pleased to say, from all parts of the chamber. Thank you, Councillor Dean. I'll now ask the leader of the council, Mr Jim Ketteridge, to wind up before we get to a vote on this. Uh, I'm not sure about winding up, Chairman. I don't know whether nope. Councillor Barker may wish to do that. Uh, this is her, propo is her Very well. proposal. But, um, but I, I'd just like to make a few comments on some of the things that have actually been said and, and perhaps reply to one or two things. Uh, I just made one or two notes here an awful lot of uh, comments being made uh, this evening. Councillor Lemon asked about affordable housing. It's an unfortunate term, affordable housing. What is generally meant by affordable housing in this context is socially rented housing, mixed tenure housing such as uh, shared equity, etc. It, it, is, it is not generally used for the, for the term of, if you like, cheap uh, houses to buy because as we know very well uh, there is no such thing in this part of the world. Um, Councillor Knight mentioned uh, why have we not been talking to the government. Uh, if Councillor Knight had been following what is going on she would know uh, that we have done that on many occasions. Uh, in 19, uh, sorry, 2008 I, I led a delegation uh, of members from here to uh, meet with the Secretary of State Hazel Blears when we were discussing numbers relating to the, the now defunct regional spatial strategy. Uh, we went there with the purpose of trying to secure a lesser number than was in that strategy. Uh, unfortunately when we got there, uh, unfortunately the, the leader of the Liberal Democrat group who went with us stabbed us in the back 
uh, by saying, in fact, we weren't building enough houses, which was extremely unfortunate uh, at the time. Subsequently, we met with uh, her successor, whose name escapes me for the moment, uh, and with the uh, housing ministers from the Labour government on a number of occasions. We have since met with Eric Pickles from from the new government. His advice to us is get on with the job. No one can say that we have rushed this plan through. (laughs) How can you possibly say this plan has been rushed through when it has taken seven years? It has taken seven years because of all the different iterations uh, and changes in the uh, guidelines and policies as governments uh, have progressed. Councillor Dean reeled off a number of communities who don't want housing in their area. That's pretty much par for the course, I'm afraid. Nobody wants, it. Nobody wants houses in their particular patch. Councillor Dean has uh, repeatedly, despite being asked, refused to say himself where housing might be placed in our district, but always answer is there none. The importance of, uh, uh, and I I thank Councillor Simon Howell for his succinct uh, talk on on, on how things are, because I I think he put it uh, very well. Mr Chairman, the the importance of having a local plan in place cannot be overstated. Over the last two years, in, in particular, the amount of misinformation that has been put in the public domain by campaign groups about housing numbers and locations has been enormous. But, but, councillors, it, but councillors in this authority, in neighbouring authorities and across the country are faced with the real world. They are faced with having to make decisions on the local plan and to make those decisions on behalf of all of the residents in this district. Not just the already comfortably housed, but also for those on the council's housing waiting list and indeed for the generations that will come forward in the next two decades that, will find them, that may find themselves on that waiting list. And just a point about consultations, because consultations are not referendums. When you look at the number of responses that we receive from, consulta- from the consultation, because we hear figures bandied about of 99% of people who responded. Actually, the number of people who responded of the electorate is 6.5%. Of the population of Uttlesford, it's 3.4%, because an awful lot of the people who did respond were under the voting age. That is hardly 99% of the people of this district rejecting the plan. This last weekend, I had a visit at home from a father who lives in my ward, who wanted to speak to me on behalf of his daughter and her family who desperately need housing in Saffron Walden. Who is the voice of that family and the many others like them if we are not? We live in a district that is the envy of many. We have been described as having the best quality of life of any rural district in the country. That doesn't happen by accident. It happens because we all care about our district. There is a whole raft of reasons why we enjoy that level of quality of life in Uttlesford. One of those is that we protect our conservation areas in both towns and villages 
thus retaining the essential character of those communities throughout changing times. Our communities all evolved over time. Certainly Saffron Walden has. I've lived here all my life and I've seen it change considerably. I've seen the housing developments that came forward in the 1970s. Uh, all one on appeal. All one on appeal. So the council at that time lost, lost control of what was happening. They had no control over infrastructure and therefore there wasn't any. But we cannot close our eyes to the ever-increasing population growth or to say to new generations, as seem to be saying, some people seem to be saying here tonight, go and live somewhere else. We have to try and find balance in everything we do. The local plan, however, is not just about housing. It is about a whole raft of measures, including providing for economic growth and the continued prosperity of this district, which is a key plank of this Council's corporate plan. Mr Chairman, we believe that our plan fills, fulfils the requirements of the Government's planning inspectorate, that it meets the four tests of soundness uh, that Councillor Barker set out uh, in her uh, talk earlier. We believe it is positively prepared, justified, effective and consistent with national policy. I will support the recommendation before you tonight, Chairman, and I hope members will too. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councillor Ketteridge. In that case, I call upon Councillor Barker to wind up this debate. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Chairman, I think most things have been said. A couple of things I would like to add. Um, Councillor Cheatham and myself have been to a number of planning conferences, and certainly the Housing Minister referred to, Nick Bowles, has spoken at these conferences. And Mr Bowles says, you build houses. Actually, I don't mind if it takes people a little longer to get to work, or if other little bits of infrastructure aren't in place. We need the houses and you are going to build them. If we do not have a plan in place, Eric Pickles will overrule anything we reject. He overruled 1,200 just outside Harlow. Harlow Council didn't want it. That is what will happen. I don't want to see that happen in Dunmo or in Elsenham or in Saffron Walden where you will get the houses and you will not get the infrastructure. We need to be in control of the situation. The only way we could be in control of the situation is by having a sound plan in place. Moving this forward today will be another step towards making the decisions that planning can reject unwanted applications much more positive. You know, every step along the way towards our adopted plan will help the planning committee in refusing things which are not in accordance with our plan. We have heard nothing today, apart from one speaker who's honest enough to say, I want a single settlement, I don't know where. We have never had a coherent opposing suggestion from anybody in this council. We cannot put 6,000 houses up near Great Chesterford. The developer has not, well, any developer, no developer has offered any land. We have to stick to the sites that have been offered, that have been put forward through the housing land assessment that actually went out twice with a call for sites. We cannot put land on Audley End Estates rather than the other side of town. We cannot not put houses in Saffron Walden. The inspector would not accept a situation where there were no housing development in the major town in this district. We've heard very little about Great Dunmo tonight, although we have lots of members here from Great Dunmo. Great Dunmo is having another 2,976 houses. And I know members in Dunmo have fought very hard 
for half of their community to make sure that we try to preserve the centre of Dunmo and that the facilities that these new development brings bring a benefit to all. A new site for a health centre outside the centre of Dunmo. In the middle, Takeley, Dunmo, surrounding villages are woefully badly served by medical services, as are many parts of this district. A new purpose-built centre in due course will be excellent. A new expanded secondary school to cope with the growth. Two or three new primary schools. We have to grab these opportunities. We have to get the infrastructure in place in a timely manner. We do not want to see a situation like Flitch Green. How long has it taken Flitch Green to get a school and a community centre and the things it wants? It has been forever. Um, Woodlands Park. Anyone who ever goes past Tesco's and down onto Woodlands Park will see that the affordable housing down there is all in blocks at the end, miles away from anybody. I don't like it like that. Our policies now say that you will build affordable housing that doesn't show up from the rest of the housing, that it's not in groups of more than 10 houses, that we do have the houses there for equity share, for rent, that we do build bungalows for older people. 5% of all new build will be bungalows for older people, whether they're council, housing association or privately owned. We want to build houses in places that people want to live in a community they want to live. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Barker. We will now move to the vote. And the, um, it is to be a recorded vote, so I'll ask the uh, Chief Ex- uh, Deputy Chief Executive Legal to take us through the arrangements. Members, as I call your name, will you please indicate whether you are voting for the motion, against the motion, or abstaining? Councillor Graham Barker. Councillor Susan Barker. Councillor Chambers. Four. Councillor Cheatham. Four. Councillor Davies. Against. Councillor Davies. Four. Councillor Dean. Against. Councillor Easton. Four. Councillor Eden. Four. Councillor Evans. Against. Councillor Felton. Four. Councillor Foley. Against. Councillor Freeman. Councillor Godwin. Against. Councillor Harris. Four. Councillor Hicks. Four. Councillor Howell. Four. Councillor Jones. Against. Councillor Ketteridge. Four. Sorry, Councillor Andrew Ketteridge. Four. Uh, Councillor Lemon. Against. Councillor Mackman. Against. Councillor Menel. Sorry, Councillor Knight. Councillor Mawson. Against. Councillor Oliver. Councillor Parr. Against. Councillor Parry. Against. Councillor Perry. Against. Councillor Ranger. Four. Councillor Redfern. Councillor Rolfe. Councillor Rose. Councillor Salmon. Councillor Smith. Councillor Walters. Councillor Watson. Councillor Wells. Three, fourteen. 
Chairman, the vote is 23 votes for, 14 against, and no abstentions. The motion is carried. I think, shall we take a break? We'll adjourn the meeting for five minutes for the public to leave us. Members, members, please, could I ask you to start resu re uh, resuming your places, please? Uh, got one. We don't do bread and breakfast. Come on. Members, please, will you take your places so we can continue with the meeting? Members, we must now get back to the agenda. <laughs> Item 3 on the agenda is to approve the minutes of the meeting held on 27th of February, which are in your package there. Thank you, Paul, Thank you. Um, the minutes have been circulated. Have, may I deem them as being satisfactory, or does, it have anyone, is, does anyone have any issues they wish to raise, to wish to raise, rising out of the minutes? Very satisfactory. In that case, we'll go rapidly to uh, matters arising, business arising, item four. Um, I'll. Go through by numbers as customary. C52, C53, C54. C54, I'll say something on that, and that is the uh, Chairman's uh, Bridge End Gardens tour and lunch on the 2nd of April last week was uh, very satisfactorily attended. We had, um, um, we we're fortunate to have a very good day, and uh, all who attended, the people from across Essex with their chains, and those. Uh, uh, quite a number of members also attended um, all uh, expressed their 
pleasure and having a very enjoyable time. So thank you all who uh, took part in that uh, day. Councillor Chambers, you wish to say something? Thank you, Mr Chairman. Could I, could I just say to you on behalf of the, the members that were there, and, and unfortunately the ones that weren't, but in particular from other people outside our own district, how nice it was to come and see a lovely garden like Bridgend Gardens with a super day, come back and have a real chat about all these things which we've been talking about tonight, convivially uh, and very, you know, being amicable about everything and all having the same problems, we'd like to thank you personally for organising that and all your staff for an excellent day. Thank you, sir. Well, I think it's the Chairman's PAs and her friends who uh, have the best, carry the main, um, deserve the most credit for this. Uh, thank you anyway, Councillor Chambers. Uh, going on again, um, through the uh, matters arising, uh, C55... C56, C57, C58, C59, C60, C61, C62, C63, C64, C65, C66, C67, and finally C68. No one has spoken, so in that case I will sign the uh, minutes as a true record. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for your patience. So we'll move on to item five on the agenda, Chairman's announcements. Um, nothing in particular except another commercial for the um, Chairman's Civic Dinner at Horham Hall in um, early May. Um, we hope to see as many of you there as possible. And uh, that's my only announcement. And moving on to um, item six. Matters of report from the leader and members of the executive. Um, I'm bringing forward uh, agenda item eight to, uh, into this section so that uh, uh, the report from Council of Waters can be um, uh, um, put to question if that's required. So, um, matters of report from the leader and members of the executive. I call upon the leader to start us. It will be very brief. Uh, this evening, Chairman, it's already uh, getting late, and we don't want it to be as late as uh, I'm told Brentwood Council was uh, last night, going into the, into the early hours. Uh, Chairman, I'd just like to, um, to 
remind members, of course, uh, because you're all aware that we are the number one place for quality of life uh, in, uh, of, of all of the 119 rural local authority districts. And I think we should, we should take pride uh, in that fact. It, as I said uh, in my statement earlier, it doesn't happen just by accident. It happens, a lot of that is because of what we do, what our communities throughout the district, what our parish councils do. All of those factors combine to make Uttlesford uh, the place that it is. And, and I commend you to actually have a look uh, at the uh, Halifax report, and, and in particular the things that are measured uh, to, that uh, put us in first place. And just, and just to point out, of course, whilst we are the number one uh, district, top of the pile, our neighbours at East Hertfordshire were fourth, the neighbours on our uh, other boundary at South Cams were sixth. Malden uh, <laughs> works very far away, but they were uh, 15th uh, in that, of that uh, 119, but no other Essex Council appears in the top 50, so I think uh, that, or, or, or district appears in the top 50, and I think that, that is worthy of mention. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Councillor Kettridge. Um, do any other Cabinet members wish to address the, uh, the members? No other reports apart from we'll move straight to, uh, in that case, to Councillor Waters, who's going to give us a report on uh, community safety. Thank you very much, Mr. Chamber. Um, tranquil Waters, I think, now. <laughs> Um, Mr Chairman, um, it's a great pleasure to submit this um, community safety report to members this evening. I hope you've all read it. It's fairly straightforward, but what I'd like to do, if I may, just highlight one or two items on that, and then I can take any questions if members want to ask any. Um, first of all, on the community safety partnership, Uttlesford is a very safe place to live. In spite of an increase in the number of burglaries which occurred during the course of the latter part of last year, which affected many of our towns in the district, Uttlesford continues to have one of the lowest crime rates in Essex and the eastern counties. The district has a higher proportion of elderly residents than most of the national and county averages, and the elderly of our community are usually the most fearful of crimes. However, in an independent survey carried out by Mori last year, where they interviewed elderly members of the community, Uttlesford was top of the list with the highest percentage of residents interviewed and surveyed who said they felt safe going out at night, and it was 72%. That, I think, summarises exactly the safe situation in Uttlesford that has been achieved over a number of years. The Community Safety Partnership involves a number of agencies working together to reduce crime and disorder and produces each year a strategic assessment which is reviewed, as I said, every 12 months. It outlines the main priorities for the partnership and sets out to achieve them. The key areas achieved for 2014 and 15 continue to be as follows, which is reducing antisocial behaviour, reducing violent crime, including assaults and domestic violence, 
reducing acquisitive crimes, including domestic burglaries and road safety. The CSP, or Community Safety Partnership, has core projects which it continues. One is the Reality Roadshow and the Crucial Crew, which is for uh, 13-year-olds and 11-year-olds. And if I said they're so successful that all 39 schools and districts already booked into the Crucial Crew um, workshops in June. A new event which is taking place is to cater for our elderly residents because we do have a high percentage and that's a safer living event and I don't know if any of the members here tonight have been to any of these at all. They were held in... <laughs> I fitted in very well, thank you very much. Um, they're mainly aimed for the over 55s although my experience at, um, at uh, Thaxted was then probably over 70s and they proved very popular indeed. They're made up for contribution for the fire service on things like smoke detectors, Essex police on the variety of scams that are taking place, and various others, Papworth Trust with its excellent services can provide. And the one noticeable thing, I was very impressed by the services that are available and also by the number of people who were there who were not aware of them. So these courses which were or workshops put out by the District Council I think are very helpful and going to be very popular uh, and hopefully they will continue. Um, I'd like now to go over to item two on my report, which is the emergency planning. Um, again, it's a bit boring to repeat some of these things, but it wasn't all that long ago and we tend to forget it, but following the wettest winter for 248 years and the prolonged spell of rainfall the early part of this year, um, apart from a few hot spots, most of the flooding in the district subsided quickly. We were very, very fortunate from that point of view. Our emergency planning team coped extremely well over the crisis. It was very harrowing for them, but I think they did a splendid job. But one or two things came out of it which needed to be addressed. One important need being voiced is the provision of sand and long-lasting bags <coughs> convenient for stowing locally in order to be better prepared in the event of future emergency flood warnings. Already I hear reports coming and talking about droughts and things like that again, so we're <laughs> swiftly coming out of that situation, so it seems. But it is a good point to be aware of. Also, as a result of that, for our excellent emergency planning officer, there's, going to, there's been a follow-up resilient workshop has been arranged for the 15th of May at Dunmo at the Jordan Centre with experts in the field providing advice and guidance to parishes on how to cope with future predicted flood conditions. I honestly, uh, earnestly uh, urge members here tonight to get their parishes to send a representative down to this particular workshop. Uh, item three is licensing. The licensing committee has continued to be extremely busy with a number of, re of uh, regular panel hearings which consist basically of driver-related or about licensed premises. In most cases, they're quite interesting. Um, the committee recently updated the council's licensing policy following consultation and public hearings open to the trade. A considerable amount of work is involved, particularly in relation to government consultation papers on proposed changes usually given us with very short notice. Um, I won't go into the further detail of that, but let me just say that a considerable amount of work goes into that, um, although we are very concerned about the short notice given to the committee to, to, to consider and, and make comment. However, um, more recently, there's been a deregulation bill coming through, which I'm sure is all for the good, but it does have a lot of um, possible problems, which we're very much aware of, and the Chairman of the Licensing Committee, Councillor Perry, and I have jointly written to Sir Alan Hazlett expressing our concerns. 
Um, item 4 covers Uttlesford policing. I won't go into too much detail here because Chief Inspector Richard Melton has only very recently carried out presentation of current crime situation at the North and South Forums, but I will summarise the following. Uh, crime over the past 10 months has increased by 3.9% overall, but the biggest increase being in burglaries up by 49.7%. Vehicle crime came in at 8.2% and there's been an increase in shoplifting by 9.3%. Most of the burglaries and car crimes have been carried out by gangs of criminals originating outside the district, although there have been a few which have been carried out by one or two local criminals. The good news is that they are being apprehended uh, with information coming in from local residents and the good work of us, the CAID and our local police. Serious crime is down by 41.2%, assaults down by 15.3%, antisocial behaviour is well down too, and I'm talking about hooliganism and noisiness and rowdiness on things like Friday nights and Saturday nights, mainly due to police presence in our towns and the excellent well-supported pub watch scheme. Street pastors, uh, this was formed, as you all know, about a year ago. Um, they have done a wonderful job. The police are delighted with them. They've, and I think they have made a contribution to an actual fact to the drop in some what I call the antisocial behaviour because I think people perhaps coming out of the pub a bit drunk are not just immediately apprehended by the police but in actual fact looked after by some very <coughs> pleasant and, and well-trained street pastors. Um, they are hoping to extend this um, to other towns in due course, probably one at a time. Um, one little item I'd like to bring up, because it was raised um, some meetings ago about domestic violence and the response times. Well, uh, the response time basically um, in emergency situations in Uttlesford, for example, is 78% is achieved, and we're talking about 15 minutes. And in rural situations where it's 20 minutes, they're doing it about the same level, about 78.9%, uh, which I think is, uh, is quite a good record, but of course can never be complacent because it is a serious matter. Mr Chairman, that's a brief summary. I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. But I will take any questions if they so wish. Thank you very much, Councillor Waters. Um, I think in that case we'll go straight to members' questions to the leader, members of the executive and chairman of committees. And I think, uh, Councillor Perry, um, would you like to speak, please? Thank you, Chairman. All I wanted to do was say thank you to uh, Councillor Waters for his report, which is concise and I fully support, and just to advise that we have received acknowledgement from Sir Alan, and we await his reply. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you very much. Councillor Watson. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, if I could ask, uh, in relation to the actual crime figures, I know there's uh, lies, damn lies and statistics, um, but two of them are extremely large in percentage terms, that the increase in burglary dwellings and that of... Uh, serious violent crime going down, one by, up by 49%, the other one down by 41.2%. Is it possible to actually have a number to go with that rather than a percentage? How many burglaries is that that has risen by and how many assaults is that that has dropped by? I appreciate you may not have those figures, but if I could get them at some stage, I would appreciate it. Councillor Waters. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, yes, I totally agree. I had, actually did have the figures, but I didn't put them in because I wanted to keep the report. It already floated onto two and a half pages, and I didn't think it would be very popular. <laughs> but I'd be very pleased to share them with you, Councillor Watson. Um, I think one of the problems, you're quite right about these percentages, because it's 49%, could be 49%, because it's gone from one crime up to two or three. But I'll let you have those figures. I have them available. 
Thank you, Councillor Waters. Councillor Ranger. Thank you, Chairman. As a, a resident of your ward, um, to save Councillor Waters being embarrassed by having questions from the Chair, perhaps I could ask a couple of questions as a local resident. Um, perhaps Councillor Chambers could inform me when the next panel of the highways, uh, the next meeting of the highways panel is to be held. And secondly, if you could ask that meeting why the relocation of the vehicle activated sign on the B1008 in Barnston was not completed by the end of March as promised, despite being agreed in July 2012. Thank you. Well, with, with pleasure, Mr Chairman, I'd like to answer that. First of all, the Highways Panel meeting is on Thursday evening, and they usually meet, as you know, about every two months. With regard to the delivery of some of the schemes, um, well, first of all, the Highways Panel members work extremely hard they go through the schemes very quickly. I remember they, in the first year we operated, we had a backlog, and then we did two meetings in one week instead of every two months. The problem is that once they leave us, they go to the county hall where they go before the portfolio holder who will sign off some of these, or sign off these schemes, and there can be delays not just there, but for implementation of them afterwards. The ridiculous part about it is some of these schemes, like a VAS sign, for example, which is a pole and, a, and the, and the uh, uh, VAS sign itself, simple ones, can be delayed um, for ridiculous periods of time where a couple of people can just go out and do it. That situation is being addressed because, in actual fact, I had a meeting with a portfolio holder. He fully agrees with it, and I think he's taken steps to try and improve on that particular aspect. But the other ones, I think, it's just a sheer volume because, don't forget, there are 12 other panels all putting out a load of schemes. And, of course, with the various changes at County Hall with the number of staff and things like that, I think it's slightly overwhelmed at one point. But from our panel point of view, we churn them out, and we're top of the list from that point of view doesn't help those poor devils wait. Thank you, Councillor Walters. Councillor Rose. Uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, two questions, if I may. One to Councillor Walters. Um, the emergency planning team, yet again, may I commend their work, when Newport was uh, tragically flooded, uh, Lisa Lipscomb and her team were out there at all hours checking, and in fact, uh, with her help, she was in coordinating uh, the local police to drive past to make sure that Newport wasn't cut off and it's only through that diligence that we were allowed to um, at least monitor the situation. So again, if you could pass on Newport's thanks. Um, and to that extent, um, could he investigate a, an initiative which was brought up in Newport Parish Council last night uh, of having sandbags and sand stored at the Newport depot that maybe we could use locally or certainly regionally um, that could be accessed because Newport Depot is an exceptionally well-maintained site. It would secure sand for the local residents and if we could actually, in negotiating with the parish council, maybe part pay, come to an arrangement with sand that we could alleviate the flooding in Bridgend. Can I just answer that, Chairman? Please um, do, I know Lisa is looking into that particular thing now and she's obviously going to be in contact with the various parish councils to assess exactly who wants to have these things and how best to, to organise it. So it's something which is, uh, is going to be happening, uh, but Lisa will be coordinating it and she's in on top of that now. Thank you. Uh, and my final question, if I may. Ah, yes. um, we were delighted that A boards... Uh, we had a, a verdict from the District Council on that, but I do notice the fact that it's div uh, uh, 
respecting the Essex County Council policy on A boards, surely we should not defer to Essex County Council. Their policy is flawed. They say in their specifications that the um, street should be two metres before you can have an A board. Well, I do not recall any street in Uttlesford that is actually two metres wide unless you're actually in a town or a city. Um, and obviously, as a member of Newport Business Association, um, I would like that rescinded or a clear message saying that we can have A boards in Newport and uh, support businesses as this District Council claims. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Rose. Councillor Howell, please. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. My question is actually one for Councillor Susan Barker, so if there are other questions for Councillor Walters, I'm happy to defer. But if, if there are not, it concerns roadside littering. Um, as I understand it, at present, road users can throw litter out of their vehicles and they can escape penalties unless the council can pull off the really quite unusual, almost impossible task of being able to prove exactly who it was in the vehicle who was the culprit. Um, as a result of a change of legislation, as I understand it from next year, UDC is going to be able to issue um, civil penalties to the registered owner. Uh, of the car involved and that will bring littering in line with other um, similar motoring offences. I, I asked this question because I took part in the Sampford litter pick uh, three or so weeks ago, a jolly afternoon and we collected 50 bags of the most disgusting rubbish. Um, I happened to drive past the, the route that I picked three weeks ago at the weekend and I saw that it was already littered again. So I, I, I hope very much that Councillor Barker will welcome this initiative um, and that can she reassure me that she'll do what she can to ensure that we make use of this um, in an appropriate way. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Howell. Councillor Foley. Oh, sorry. Yes, please. Do. Uh, thank you, Chairman. Um, yes, this council and uh, the leader of this council, you've heard many times speak about litter. We, we don't like litter. And we certainly don't like litter being thrown out of cars. Um, and yes, we will make sure that we, can, we are in a position to be able to issue fines. But of course, that does mean that a responsible officer has to, be a, has to see, see the event happening, as it were. It can't just be a member of the public, as I understand it. If I could just add that we have also agreed to join the Essex Clean Campaign, this is an anti-litter campaign that will take place in June this year. It's essentially an Essex-wide advertising campaign to encourage people not to drop litter, especially from cars. The aim is to change people's behaviour and reinforce the littering message that you will be fined. All 14 Essex local authorities are involved so as to share resources and expertise and keep costs down through bulk purchasing of media space across the county. All the McDonald's franchises are on board and have committed to display material in their premises and on their packaging. My note from Lisa, our PR lady, says that KBT are supporting the campaign, but I think she means KFC. I've never heard of KBT. Um, and ECC have committed to match fund all the monies that local authorities make. So if we put in 1,000, they'll put in 1,000. We have been asked to identify our hotspots for littering and decided to focus primarily on the areas around Stansted Airport, in particular the A120 between the airport and Braintree. We do have a little problem with people throwing litter from cars along the A120 around the McDonald's and also around the plane spotting viewing areas. The rest of our district is fairly clean and tidy. Well, I think that's in relation to the 120. And I understand, um, certainly last time I talk, spoke to Mr Pridham, we actually now litter pick the A120 once every two weeks. It used to be every four weeks, but the volume was such that it was reduced to every two weeks to keep it in a, in a manageable state. So we are now in the process of identifying and confirming advertising sites in the area where we would recommend placing some of the adverts. 
We're also working closely with parishes to understand those which wish to be involved in the campaign and to ask whether they want any more high-vis jackets or litter pickers. Thank you, Councillor Barker. <coughs> Sorry to delay you. Councillor Foley. Thank you very much. Just to... Um one a question and one a point, really. Um, with, with the, as Stitt said, increase of um, uh, burglaries up uh, quite a considerable amount and thought to be from people from outside, I just wonder, Councillor Walters, has it been discussed or, uh, with the police at any time for car registration recording devices? I noticed that in some parts of Essex, Brentwood, isn't it? I think they they have it already, where they have uh, you know had a hard arise and crime, which was determined to be from outside. It's a kind of camera device that just records it. It may be, but it's beyond the the um, the, the cost um, you know of what could be afforded. But it's just uh, worth a mention. And the second uh, point is, uh, although it's not been mentioned here, uh, in Thaxton we had six. Uh, we, we, we coped reasonably well with the, with the wet weather, <clears throat> but uh, we went without our problems. And six emergency call-outs from uh, Anglia Water happened over uh, the, what we call the lower Thaxton area the, in the dip. And, um, and one of the things that uh, had been a, co a comment of the engineers um, that came along, and it's something that we're aware of and maybe should be taken into account in planning later, is that r the runoffs from where they're presently building um, there, you know, where there's concrete down and there's not, enough, there's not drainage and things set up yet, uh, was, a, was, a, was a factor in that. And there's a great concern, of course, from the point of view of people in Lower Thax that, that there's going to be, that's going to be a problem in the future. But um, just for your information, there were six, six uh, uh, Anglian water call-outs. Thank you. Um, if I may, Mr. Walters. Chairman, just answer briefly on the, the question of these uh, car registration monitoring um, units. Uh, yes, they are a very useful tool for the police. One upon time, they used to provide them themselves. Uh, but due to the sort of fallback and some of the resourcing for the police, they're looking more and more to local authorities. And also, this coincides with the rundown in the numbers of police over recent years, where these things uh, become even more important. So the, this council has, in actual fact, has funded some of these uh, AMPRs, and uh, hopefully in the future they'll be able to look at them again, funding being available, uh, to perhaps uh, add a few more to them. Uh, but there are a lot of changes taking part in the police at the moment, so we'll have to just see exactly where their policies are. But to answer your question, yes, they're vital um, in, in helping the police to detect uh, burglars and criminals generally, not only in Uttersford, of course, but across counties. As far as the, the water company is concerned, I can offer you no comment to that comment. It's usually an excuse why they fail to turn up on time, I would imagine. Thank you, Councillor Waters. That brings us to the end of members' questions, and now we'll move on to item 9, matters received about joint arrangements and external organisations. Uh, it's a standing item, but there is nothing to, uh, which has cropped up under that head. So we go to um, item 10, matters received from committees and working groups. And the first item here is, uh, refers to, is a concern to Standards Committee, and I'll ask Councillor Lemon to report to us on this. Thank you, Chairman. Um, yes, at the Council meeting in December, it was recommended that we accept, uh, accept a new procedure for calling in planning decisions 
And after, after a long debate, it was decided to send this back to the Standards Committee again for further discussion. Um, the views of all members were asked for. Uh, we actually had six replies from 44 members, and three were supporting the uh, call-in procedure, two were against, and one was neutral. The Standards Committee of six councillors two from each group and three independent non-voting members discussed this matter again at length and have unanimously agreed to recommend the call-in procedure again to the full council. No changes were recommended during the discussion and the three independent members were in agreement with, the, with all our decisions. I repeat the recommendation to this council that we accept the call-in procedure as recommended by the Standards Committee. Thank you, Councillor Lemon. Do we have a second uh, for the proposal, uh, Councillor Eden? Um, you wish to speak to the matter, Councillor You Very well. Um, we have a proposal. We have a second. Uh, I'll open up the debate, and Councillor Perry will lead off. Thank you, Chairman. Only one question. I noticed that the final arbitrator will be Mr. Taylor. I don't see that as proportional or realistic in this aspect. If it's going to be, it's another hoop for councillors to go through. If it's just that it'll be referred to him, and if there's true planning reason for it to be called in, then it's called in, as long as it's another hoop, and I can be assured that that is the way. Councillor Lemon. Thank you, Chairman. Yes, the reason for doing this was to stop people putting in um, call-ins that were, weren't substantiated by a planning procedure. Um, it's not every member that knows all the planning procedure. And some members may call something in without speaking to a planning officer first and, and it would be found out that it wasn't for proper planning ma uh, matter. So it can be called in. So we do, did need somebody just to glance through and say, yes, that is a planning matter and it can go forward. But it is, it's, it's not and a device to stop callings going forward, I think, surely. Thank you, Councillor Lemon. Councillor Cheatham. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, I totally concur with the recommendation that the Standards Committee have put forward. I think it's very important that good planning reasons are put forward when we have a call-in. Uh, we don't have too many, but we have in the past had a, about half a dozen on an agenda, um, and we do really need a good planning reason, and that is why I feel that the Assistant Director of Planning is the right person to look at the final reason. Most members um, know exactly why, um, how to phrase um, a reason for call-in. Um, what we don't want is call-ins just because few people don't want it. There has to be a good reason for it, otherwise it makes it exceedingly difficult for the committee to look at it properly. Thank you, Councillor Chief. Councillor Dean. Mr Chairman, I think I need to repeat some of the things that I said at the previous meeting. I, my first question is, why is this procedural matter something that's being considered by the Standards Committee and therefore relevant to the Code of Conduct? Why, for instance, according to this, should I be hauled before the Standards Committee because I put in a request for a call-in after six weeks or because Mr Taylor doesn't, or his colleagues don't think that he's got valid planning reasons or, or for instance, that I put in a request for a call-in in Councillor Richard's ward, heaven forbid. 
because that's what essentially this says, that if you actually go, you know, transgress these maybe sensible arrangements, then you're in breach of the code of conduct. So I really think that all members need to have a full explanation as to why this is being dealt with by the Standards Committee and not by, I don't know, Scrutiny Committee or whatever. And I have one other question um, where, again, it's the... Um, the, 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 the five, I think it's a five-week matter. No, I can't find it. I'll, I'll leave it. I think there was another point, but I, I, I can't see where I noted it. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Dean. Councillor Lemon, do you wish to answer? Uh, can you I, I can answer, answer some of them. The, the, the call-in procedure, you have five weeks to call something in, and then you can't call it in. So that is it. So if somebody calls it in after five weeks, you won't go to the code of breaking the code of conduct because you can't call in, you have five weeks to call it in. And I'd like to ask Michael Perry to answer the rest of the questions, please. Chairman, yes, the, the reason for the recommendation was we had a situation where um, a member was reported for breach of the code of conduct for uh, calling in a, a planning application for improper reasons. The objective of this protocol is to prevent that happening and prevent members being in breach of the code, uh, which they, they could easily do by bringing the Council or the Office of Council into disrepute. May, may I just come back come very back briefly? Back well, I, I mean, I hear what's said. It doesn't make any sense to me. But there is, there is one statement in the document which, um, which says... Oh, here we are. The it's, about the f it's about the five-week... No, sorry, it's not. It's about the officer recommendation. It says that you've got to call it in within five weeks um, and you should only do for and against, depending on the officer recommendation. But after five weeks, we don't know what the re officer recommendation is. Therefore, how on earth can that procedure work? It, this implies that you would know the officer recommendation within five weeks and decide whether or not you wanted to call it in. That's not the case. So, it, 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 again, it's illogical. Uh, Chairman, that isn't the case at all, because a member knows um, at the outset, before they call an application, whether or not they would call it in, um, only if it's being recommended for approval, or only if it's being recommended for refusal. Um, what the protocol is designed to prevent is members calling an application regardless of the officer's recommendation. Um, so, you would be looking at the planning application and saying, I support this or I oppose it, you only call it in if the officer's recommendation is contrary once that recommendation has been formulated to the opinion you take. Thank you very much, Mr Perry. Councillor um, yeah. uh, Barker. Um, I have some sympathy with what Councillor Dean says. There seems to be a conflict in what is a procedure or a standard operating procedure, then also the paragraph issue guidance to members as to what would constitute, constitute unacceptable conduct. I can't see how you can bring a conduct with a procedure. And does this document lie with the planning regulations, or does it lie with the constitution, or does it lie with the, the conduct paperwork that we have? Um, can somebody answer which bit we are actually voting for? Are we voting for a procedure? or an ethical guideline how we should behave when dealing with planning applications. Council Rich. I'm grateful, Chairman. Um, two points, um, and I, I, I agree with the last speaker and uh, to some extent the speaker before. Um, 
it, it, seems to me, it does seem to me illogical that um, you shouldn't recommend a call-in if um, a particular planning application is of such moment that regardless of whether the um, officer eventually recommends it or refuses it, it should go in front of the committee in your opinion. And what this document appears to do is to prevent that um, from happening. And whilst I do, um, and I am one of the the members of this council um, who does um, uh, refer matters conditionally depending on what what the recommendation is, not everybody does that. And uh, in my submission, um, they may do so rightly in some um, situations. And if it's right in those those situations, um, it it should go on um, being right. And um, secondly, one thing that I did say last time, and, uh, uh, and I say again, is that I don't like the idea of having to satisfy um, someone who isn't a member of the council um, before a call-in can, can, uh, can, can, can be engaged in. I'm, I've got every confidence, obviously, in Andrew Taylor and in his decision-making, um, but I don't like the idea of having to satisfy um, an officer of the council that every one of your planning reasons is a valid reason um, before a call-in can be engaged in, and that is precisely what 3.1 is postulating. A request for a call-in may be rejected by the Assistant Director of Planning and Building Control if he is not satisfied that the reasons given for the call-in are planning reasons. So the obligation would be on the member seeking a call-in to satisfy the Assistant Director that each individual reason was a valid one. If 3.1 said a request for a call-in may be rejected by the Assistant Director Planning Building Control if he is satisfied that the reasons given for the call-in are not planning reasons, that would reduce, that would reverse the burden and um, and answer my objection. But that's not what it says. And I'm concerned that the the, the point I I, I made last time, which I thought everyone had agreed with, um, doesn't seem to have been taken into account. And this document has just been referred back without, without that point being taken on board. Thank you, Councillor Rich. I think we must go to the votes now. So... All those in favour of the um, uh, draft protocol for calling in planning applications, um, please show. Those against? Thank you, Mr. Perry. That is your first part, I think, uh, Councillor Lemon, but now we call upon you again for um, what is labelled S18, Protocol uh, for Employee and Councillor Planning Applications. Um, yes, this is Probity in Planning. Is really trying to streamline a process and make it more efficient. Um, it's on page 27, S18. I, can, I could read it out, but with the time pressing on, I'll, I'll just state the, the, the facts. It suggested that all recommendations for refusal for planning applications, and this is from uh, staff and, and members and ex-members and ex-staff, um, all planning applications, recommendations for refusal for planning applications 
submitted by councillors and employees, both past and present, could, if appropriate, be dealt with under delegated powers. At the moment, they go to committee. And it just seems not sense that if they're going to be refused anyway, they can be dealt with under delegated powers. And then moving on to the second bullet point, it's suggested that after a period of four years, all applications with recommendation of approval or refusal from ex-employees and ex-councillors should, if appropriate, be dealt under delegated powers. It's just shortening that time. If somebody has been off the council for four years, it can be dealt with under delegated powers rather than go to the full planning committee. It's just just really streamlining. At the moment, anybody who's been an ex-employee or or an ex-member everything goes to the planning committee and I think it would streamline the process and make it more efficient. Uh, So I recommend to the Council that the protocol for dealing with the employer and councillor applications set out above and I propose that uh, uh, the Council votes on this matter. Thank you, Councillor Lemon. Do we have a seconder? Choice. Councillor Bidge. Um, now, I think uh, Councillor Redfern wishes to speak on this matter. Uh, yes, please, Chairman. Um, I'm just concerned about this um, recommendation that if uh, planning applications submitted by councillors and employees, both past and present, could be appropriate, be dealt with under delegated powers. I don't see why, if we're um, members of the council or employees of the council, that we should be denied the opportunity to send for our... Um, planning application to go to committee if we feel that there's a good planning reason why it should be approved that actually an officer can say no it can't go to committee because we happen to be members of the council Thank you Councillor Redfern Councillor Macman I was going to say surely in that circumstance the person would call it in Councillor Barker. I must agree with Councillor Redfern. It seems that a planning officer can, under delegated powers, refuse, and we then appear to have no redress because we're not allowed to make any uh, call-in on our own applications or those of a relative. Um, it seems that we're being uh, subject, as uh, Councillor Rich said, to the decision of an officer, uh, which may be uh, contrary to our sort of remaining liberties. Also, I have to say that when I left the Ministry of Defence, um, I was only barred from getting employed by some arms manufacturer or whatever for a period of two years. It does seem a little bit invidious that for some reason we think that uh, county count, uh, district council employees are going to get some hidden advantage up to a period of four years out. Uh, bearing in mind that as they will retire on their fixed term final salary schemes, they will want to build their conservatories and take their pension pot in their 60s, making them wait longer, maybe too long. Thank you, Councillor Barker. Councillor Cheatham. Uh, thank you. I, uh, I have listened with interest uh, um, to the last two speakers because I 
I have to say my husband wouldn't have got his planning application if it was uh, stopped by, if it was um, only up to the officers. But I would like to make an amendment. I would like to actually split this into two because I feel very strongly that it is absolutely ridiculous that a committee has to um, listen to a planning application. We had one recently from an ex-councillor who left this council, I think, nine years ago. And I do feel that that is far too long. And so I would like to actually split this to um, two parts so that the council can vote on whether um, the first part is... Um, uh, it suggested that all recommendations for refusal for planning applications submitted by councillors and employees, past and present, could be done under delegated powers. That's part one. And part two is that in terms of ex-councillors, um, we keep the, the, the um, four years. And I think four years was chosen because that is what most councils do, Councillor Barker, that they... they um, put the planning applications of ex-employees and ex-councillors up for four years. I think we are <coughs> unusual that we go on for so long, and I believe there's been longer than nine years. So I would like to put that amendment that we take this in two parts. Councillor Susan Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Chairman, I just have concerns about the wordings here. If Councillor Redfern hadn't put in a planning application, but her husband had... How is that treated? I understand the wording currently uh, includes close members of family. So I would like clarification on that point. Is anyone? Oh. Councillor Lemon. Yeah, I don't know whether... Are you Michael... able to clarify that point? No, I was going to ask Michael Perry to clarify that point, of course. <laughs> Chairman, in practice, the, the treatment of a, a spouse's application is regarded as being that of a councillor. Um, they regard as being one person for that purpose. Thank you, Ms. Perry. Uh, Councillor Davy. Did we not ask for a second? In that case, I didn't ask for a second. Please, um, we'd be very grateful if you would. Thank you very much, Councillor Davy. So we have a proposal. We have a second. We've had some debate. Um, a point of order I don't believe Councillor Chief is suggesting an amendment to the motion what she's asking is that the two recommendations be taken separately that's not yes. technically an amendment yes, right. so where do we go from here with this one we vote on take it in two parts chairman take it in two parts uh, Councillor Lemon in which, in which case, Chairman, I propose that the first bullet point be accepted by this Council. That's, it was suggested that all recommendations for refusal, planning applications submitted by councillors and employees, both past and present, could, if appropriate, be dealt with under delegated powers. I so move. So that's the new proposal, yes? No. It's the first. We're taking it in two parts. First part. Do we need a second for that first part? On a point of order, what we should be doing is voting as to whether or not we should be taking them separately and then voting on them separately if that motion is passed. Question of procedure. Mr Perry, do you wish to comment? Chairman, I don't think that's necessary. You have a, a recommendation in two parts from the Standards Committee. It's up to the Council to decide whether it's satisfied to do with one, as one vote or whether it requires two votes. There are two separate proposals. So, sh should we be... We, we vote, vote on the first one, Chairman, yes. Right. 
In that case, uh, we've got a proposer and a seconder for the first part. We should take a vote on the first part. So, all those in favour, please show. Sixteen, Chairman. And those against? <coughs> Fourteen, Chairman. The motion is carried. And so, Councillor Lemmer, we come to the second part of your proposal now. Uh, already proposed, already seconded, so we come to the second vote. Councillor. Can we just clarify what we're no. voting for this time, please? Hang on. Chairman, yeah. the suggestion for the second proposal is that after a period of four years, once the councillor or an employee has left the council, their applications, whether they're for or against officer recommendation, are dealt with on delegated powers if it falls in the delegation scheme. Uh, we have a scheme of delegation, Councillor Easton, which uh, determines what applications officers can determine. If it falls in that scheme of delegation, officers comfortable taking that decision, the decision can be taken on delegated powers. If the officer thinks it's appropriate for it, the committee the officer can do so. Thank you. Councillor Barford. Chairman, could I propose an amendment that rather than four years, it is two years? May I second, Chairman? Proposed and seconded an amendment that the time period in, the, in this part two of the discussion should relate to should be two years rather than the original four years suggested. Um, we take the amendment first. So, all those in favour of the amendment with the two-year period. Against? Right. Thank you very much, Mr. Perry. And I uh, thank you very much, Councillor Lemon, for steering us through a difficult path. Again, on a point of order, we voted on the amendment to amend it oh, too. Sorry. Don't we need yes, to formally I vote on the... Um, my, uh, I've been reminded we haven't voted on the substantive motion. We only voted on the amendment. So now we come to the. Uh, the, the amendment is now the substantive motion. The amendment is now the substantive motion. So there, there's no need for a further vote. I don't think there's, Chairman. No. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> yes, of course. Councillor Redfern, you have a question. I do. I have a question for Mr Perry. Um, I may have got this completely wrong, but did we previously say that another member wasn't allowed to call in from someone else's ward, and now we're saying that a member, if they're going to have their application refused, hasn't got the right for a call-in because we haven't got another member to call it in? Uh, Chairman, no, the, the protocol on call-ins says that if you are going to call in um, an application 
that's not in your ward, you inform the ward member accordingly. Um, Councillor Lemon. Yeah, I think, I think this was just put in because the Standards Committee felt it was a matter of common decency or courtesy. If you want to call in something in another member's ward, you speak to them beforehand. You, you, the, you, it's just a matter of common courtesy, and uh, so that's why it was put in. Thank you, Councillor. Sorry, Councillor Lemon, I don't have any issue with that. I think that's absolutely courteous. We've had this before where something's been called in in someone else's ward, but I do... I, I, anyway, it's too late now, but I do have a real issue with not being able to get your own application listened to because you're actually um, the only member in that ward. Members, I think we must move on from this one. Hopefully, everyone understands what it's all about. I'm not sure I do. Um, we'll, um, uh, in order to wind up item 10, we come to the item referred from licensing and environmental health on 10th of July, and I'll call upon Councillor Perry to speak to us on this. Thank you, Chairman. As time uh, goes on, I'll try and be as quick as I can. As Chairman of Licensing, it's a rare opportunity for me to outline some of the work carried out by the Licensing Committee, of which this is a small part. The proposal before you is with regard to the UDC gambling policy and forms our statement of principle. This is published every three years and covers everything from betting shops to bingo halls and everything else in between. The statement covers some 25 pages that I'm sure you have all read and it details all aspects of gambling undertaken by the Council, including enforcement and other issues. The statement also reflects current changes in legislation. Due consultation has been carried out and before I move this, I'd like to thank Mr Perry and the licensing team for the preparation of the statement, which is very concise and easy to read. And if there are no questions, I would like to formally move the motion for approval by full council and that it be so adopted as the gambling policy for UDC. Thank you, Councillor Perry. Uh, Councillor Mackman, are you to second? Second it, Councillor Mackman. Um, you wish to speak to it, Councillor Parker? Chairman, thank you. Uh, I've discussed this with Mr Perry before. I take it that this is the strictest, nastiest gambling policy we can impose within the law. And that we have no way of stopping fixed odds gambling machines, which are as addictive as cocaine, and the blight on the uh, poorer, more disadvantaged areas of this country. Chairman, it is as strict as we can get, and in fact, the Gambling Act requires us to exercise our powers in such a way as to promote gambling, consistent with the licensing objectives. Thank you, Mr. Perry. May I come back and say that's bizarre? So, um, yeah. we, we have a proposer, we have a seconder, maybe we'll go to the vote. Um, all those in favour of the gambling policy as proposed by Council Perry? All the was that unanimous or? <laughs> we, we didn't need to count, right, okay. And uh, so that takes us on to item 11 on the agenda, amendment to the Constitution. Uh, Mr. Jim, uh, Councillor Jim Kettridge. Uh, 
Chairman, I think this, this matter stands uh, as it is just to go straight to the vote because it was proposed and seconded at the last meeting. Uh, I've got a note here to that effect. Sorry about that. Yes, proposed and seconded at the last meeting. Um, so we can go straight to the vote. And all those in favour, please. Thank you, Mr. Perry. Uh, item 12 on the agenda to consider nominations for the post of Chairman and Vice Chairman of the Council as required under Article 512. Uh, Councillor Ketridge. Chairman, uh, I'd like to propose uh, the post of, for the post of Chairman for the ensuing year, Councillor Keith Artis, our current Vice Chairman. And for the Vice-Chairman uh, next year, I would propose uh, that Councillor John Salmon fulfil that role. Thank you, Chairman. Seconded by Councillor Chambers. Thank you very much, Councillor Chambers. You've, there are only two nominations, one for Chairman, one for Vice-Chairman. All those in favour, please show. No, 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 no. no vote? No vote. No vote necessary. Sorry to trouble you, Chairman. Uh, right. That uh, takes us on to item 13, to an agree an amendment to the committee timetable 2014-2015, the North Forum meeting to be changed from 12th of June to 5th June 2014. Chairman, just a, a, straight, a straightforward matter. Uh, I understand it is uh, in, in, in order to... Uh, make uh, a room available for that meeting because uh, as we did change it before there wasn't a room available and, uh, and therefore as I say it is just a simple matter Chairman I so propose Thank you very much I'll second that. Do we need to vote on that? We do, we do need to vote on this one so all those in favour of the change of date <coughs> Thank you Mr Perry uh, Item 14, any motions, notice of which can, there, there, there are no um, items under that item. Chairman, uh, number, uh, agenda item 15, Chairman considers to be urgent, nothing at all except the close of the meeting, I think. <laughs> Thank you very much for your patience, members. Well done, a difficult meeting, Chairman.